Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse episode 389. Oh, we're getting close to 400. Uh, I am Peter, everyone. Welcome. Uh, joining me as always is Matt. Hey, that was hot at the gate. Well, you know, it's the uh, start of the new year. Oh yeah, it's the first episode of 2024. I guess, yeah. happy new year, people. We're in, we're in future times. It feels like the future. I mean, we're... <laughs> but it also feels worse than the past. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, uh, we're, we're now past the date Blade Runner was set in. And I don't love Blade Runner. I think it's a very pretty movie, but a very dull mm-hmm. movie. Um, but that did feel like one of the pinnacle stories that was set in a future time period. And now that we've passed that, because that was 2019, for those of you who don't know, yep. Blade Runner, the first movie, was set in 2019. So mm-hmm. we're now past that. And I don't know what the next benchmark is. I know Serling Green was 2022. And we're past that now as well. Yeah, yeah. So I always remember when 2015 was coming up and the Back to the Future mm. uh, comparisons were all around. And that feels quaint now. Oh, yeah. Oh, the one for this year is A Boy and His Dog is set in 2024. So What, what one's A Boy and His Dog? Uh, that's a story written by Harlan Ellison that was turned into a movie in the 70s. It's kind of okay. weird, uh, but it's a post-apocalyptic yeah. story. Uh, uh, the one, th- the main thing I always remember about it is that it starts with a text crawl that says "After the Fourth World War." I'm like, oh, four? Oh, because oh. they usually Speed. do three. But you know. speed running. Uh oh, someone is at my door. Good to know that security package works. That is just uh, two small dogs. <laughs> <laughs> someone rings the doorbell. We're gonna know about it. Uh, the house four doors down is going to know about it. <laughs> uh-huh. 100%. Uh, who the hell am I doing, though? Anyways, uh, yeah. boy and his dog, he said. Uh, World War... We speed ran World War Three. Yeah. So, yeah, that's that's the one that I can think of for 2024. There's, to be honest, there's prob- between movies and books, there's probably one for every year now. There's probably something that was made in the past that was set in the future that you can probably pinpoint to to specific years going forward. Uh, all right, well, now that, that morbid uh, talk is yeah. over. Yeah. We're all closer to death. Congratulations, everyone. Uh, I just want to let everybody know if I'm grumpy, it's because they're going to ban hockey in 2024. They're going to ban hockey? What, why? Yeah, Jason X. Oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot about that. I sent him at that. I was watching Jason X yep. Uh, yep. some time ago, and there's a line yep. at the start that mentions that hockey was outlawed in 2024. Yeah. So so none of these youngsters that are up on a field trip in space know what a hockey mask is. Yeah, that's right. I forgot yep. about that. That's good. That's good stuff. So, but yep. Yeah, so if I'm grumpy, it's also not definitely because the Golden Knights are on a skid and it's not fun to watch right now. Like, there's fun bad, like movies to watch. But it's just, it's not, not good. So, mm. yeah. That's a shame. This is a DC Comics podcast, everyone. We get together and we talk about this week's DC Comics that we read. Coming up on this week's show, Matt read Titans Beast World Tour Atlantis. Oh, you a-hole. <laughs> you jerk. Oh, my God. No wonder he was done early. I text him at 11 being like, okay, I'm about ready. Just let me know. Oh, I'm ready when you are. Now it makes sense. Like, like, I intended on reading it. I really did. But I read another book right before this, because this, this would have been my last book. Yeah, I read yeah, another yeah. book before it that I thought was a complete shorty read. 
and yep. I just couldn't stomach another book that I didn't want to read. So I gave myself up comparing a story to Jaws, didn't I? <laughs> on, on, on the old internet last night. Because <laughs> uh, normally this is where I would try to be like, oh, I didn't read it, so I got you. But everybody knows. That oh, I, yeah, we know. God damn it. There we know. And I intentionally uh, didn't tell Matt because I thought his reaction might be good. Uh, and he was correct. I was correct. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> apologies this does not mean that i won't necessarily read the future world tour book or beast world tour books but is there um, any left i don't know i assume there's at least one yeah. or two left because the event's still going for at least the rest of the month yeah but like we, we we've hit the back characters we've hit the super characters we've hit the speedsters and now this is the atlanta so i can't think of any other ones that i'm, ch- I'm checking now that you've asked me yeah. i'm checking um yeah. There's none next week. There's none the week after. Uh, week of the twenty fourth. Just not. Oh no! Wait, no. There's a world tour. Star City is uh, later in the month. Really? Yeah. So we're doing the arrows, which uh, that makes sense. Yep, yep. Uh, mm. And that's that's it for this month. Just one more. So. Mm. Oh well. Oh, there you go. Yep. <laughs> All right. Anyway, what else did we read this week? Uh, we'll be talking about Batman one four one. We're talking about Birds of Prey issue 5, Shazam issue 7, Matt Red Poison Ivy 18, like he always does. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be talking about Neil Before Zod issue 1, and uh, Matt Red Blue Beetle, which he's also been reading. So we got that. Uh, I've got a Patreon book. I'll be doing American Vampire Second Cycle issue 3. I was going to do both, and then I checked how many books we had next week, and it was very similar mm-hmm. to this week. And I thought, okay, you know what? I'll just split them up over the two weeks. So yeah. uh, I left Batman the Outsiders for next week. But that is what's coming up on the show. So it's not a healthy list overall. Um, I, it's a shame that Matt's mm-hmm. got so many solo books this week, but it just so happens the ones he likes to read uh, came out in this two, week. Two, yes. Uh, two, yes. Two that I like to read. Two. Um, three. There's three, yeah. Matt. Yeah, but these these Beast World ones are not the greatest tie-in. That said, uh, when we get to the to the Atlantis, you know, maybe there'll be some positive things. Oh. I just saw Federici and Delandro art, so... Uh, even the pull know. of Federici couldn't get me in. I And it's Federici doing Aquaman, which is where I was... Uh, first time, I believe, I saw Federici. Uh, probably for me as well, uh, mm-hmm. now I'm thinking about so, it. Uh, um, yeah, uh, so yeah. yeah, there's no news, uh, really. Obviously, we're just coming out of the Christmas and New Year mm-hmm. break, so it's, it's pretty quiet right now as far as anything goes. Um, uh I ordered a new computer chair. If that's exciting hey, for anyone, that's that is nice. That's that's one that I'm currently sitting in. Is uh, like the arm is like worn away so much that mm-hmm. my elbows actually on wood. Like the wood that's inside the arm is what my elbows sitting on now. That means you're in it too much, Pete. <laughs> that means right, you've Pete. rubbed you've rubbed through the, the coating. <laughs> well, to be fair, I have. I mean, this chair has lasted a shock because all the previous chairs I've ever had eventually broke. Where mm-hmm. Like, their connection to the leg went weird, yep. and they wouldn't sit flat anymore, so they just kind of rock around. So this is the first chair I think I've ever had to replace, not because it's broke, but just because I've had it for so it's, long uh, that it's just, you know, it's fallen apart. So I kind of yeah. have to... It's time to move on. I My chair came from my workplace, and they told me I could have it if I fixed it. And I, and I fixed it, and it just stays in one spot. Therefore, I don't really need the wheels to work that well, you know, mm. uh, on it. So, you know, once this one goes, I'm definitely looking at a better, more comfortable. Yeah. 
Do they make computer chairs with recliners? We'll find out. I mean, you know, they all should recline a little bit. They're kind of designed to. Oh no, I'm talking like a lazy boy. We get the legs up all the way. You know. I mean, that's not a computer chair. That's yeah. just a lazy boy. <laughs> yeah, but you know, design like a you know smaller. I okay. I ain't hugging a, a lazy boy upstairs. You know. <laughs> Uh, I did get one that's meant to be ergonomic. It's got the mesh back with the headrest. I figure it might be comfortable. I mean, mm-hmm. Honestly, the main reason why I went for that rather than like a typical padded one is just because the cats can't jump on it because there's no thickness at the top. And yeah. I thought maybe we'll see how that goes. They still might wreck it, but we'll see how it goes. You gave them climbing grates with the mesh. I know, I know. There is like a bar at the back though that might make uh, it difficult for them to get get the uh, yeah. the right trajectory. Yeah, they may, they may struggle. Either that, or you've turned it into an obstacle course that they're gonna—they're <laughs> really gonna try. I'll put—I'll put a shirt over the back or something so they uh, can get to it. Maybe uh, we'll try. I don't know. It, it might yeah, be futile, right. but it's different. It's something different. We'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I'm used to the cats wrecking anything. It's got fabric on it, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been watching a lot of movies though. Uh, my yeah. my number for this year. I'm already at seven movies, and this is the sixth of the month. So I'm I'm doing good. Get getting the money. I've seen I've seen two. So I'm woefully behind. What two movies did you watch? Uh, so I watched Oppenheimer. Okay. Uh, yeah, okay. That was Essential. my first movie of the year, and then I went with my brother to see uh, Iron Claw, which um, okay. yeah, that one. Oof. Uh, that's an emotional punch to the gut. So yeah, that's not uh, over here yet. Uh, so yeah. uh, I haven't had the chance, but uh, I, I am interested okay. in seeing it. Mm-hmm. Other than that, it's been a lot of dreadful hockey, uh, comics. Clearly, because I'm reading more than Pete. You know, <laughs> I don't have time. I don't have time for movies. Uh, <laughs> so you know. Uh, oh dear. Uh, I know, between you and Connor posting all those movies, I feel like I'm behind where I'm just like, well, no, they're just not doing other things, you know? So Yeah, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've calmed down a little bit in video game playing this past mm-hmm. month because I was playing a lot for a while before that. Uh, yeah. But I, I've calmed down a little bit. I'm in the movie watching phase right now, uh, racking up some some movies and some different movies. Like I, I'm trying to like catch up on some 2023 stuff, but I'm not watching them back to back because I, I mm-hmm. think I would get bored just watching new movies constantly. Um, I, yeah. I I get a thirst for watching some classic stuff that I've not seen. So I watched The Odd Couple for the first time the other day. Nice. Um, stuff like that. So yeah, I'm definitely watching Godzilla versus the Astro Monster tomorrow. Oh, good. When working, yeah, good, good. And I'm working overtime because. Oh, did you did you like the Ghidorah, the three headed monster? Like is a different. It's it's not bad. It's it's just very weird. Um, <laughs> it's uh, but you know what? It felt timeless at the same time. Like it did not feel like a movie from the sixties, right? Um, mm. It just felt like an old, like it's weird. It's like an old timey thing. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think what else. What else do they have on there that I want to watch? Um, I am trying to track down Shin Godzilla just after seeing minus zero. Oh, um, sure. I mean, it's easily yeah. rentable anywhere. Yeah, uh, but if I can catch it on streaming, that, that's preferable because I have so many streaming services. I, I doubt. Uh, I, don't know, I don't know if you will. I don't know if it's on any of them. Yeah. I could be wrong. I don't know. Streaming services keep increasing their prices. I know Prime's going to have ads soon, or you can pay extra on top of what it already is to not have the yeah. ads. At this point, um, like I, I've already been on the I'd rather just buy the stuff I want from the digital stores mm-hmm. than 
rely on the streaming yeah. services and i'm, I'm well, further into that deep hole than i was before with all these yeah but i i agree with stuff like that like i'm I, after seeing oppenheimer which i didn't love but i did feel like that's a movie that i'm going to want to rewatch. Mm. i am going to pick that up when i find it on sale but for something that i haven't seen or i'm not going to watch a bunch of times you know uh, i don't know if i want to to spend that on, on something like shin godzilla um, uh, sure but look at it this way right the rentals tend to be between like two and five dollars, right? Mm-hmm. For each individual movie. Right. If you add up what you watch on average a month, would you mm-hmm. be better off just renting the, I don't know, let's say the half dozen or dozen, whatever mm-hmm. it may end up being, a month of things that you specifically want to watch because you can just pick whatever because you're just renting mm-hmm. them versus I'm paying for five streaming services that's costing yeah. upwards of $100 per month and sure. they don't have any of the things that I want to watch on them. So. Sure. that That's where it's getting with Netflix. I know for sure mm. that like, there's just not a lot of stuff on there for me. Uh, and if it is stuff, it's stuff that I'm readily going to buy anyways, you know? Um, yeah, it's, it's weird, but stuff like I, I get a lot of stuff through my cable package anyways, as well. Oh, we sure. cable. So like Peacock, uh, I, we get a discount for using our, our cable login. Same with Max. I don't pay for Max. Max is included as of now. Um, so, you know, uh, Hulu, we pay for Hulu, but that's minimal. But yeah, it, it is one of those things though, that there's not a lot of good things uh, right now. Like if you, the really good things you have to pay to rent, like, yeah. you know, Oppenheimer, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon, you know, all of these bigger uh, titles that I, I would want to watch. You know? Yeah, at a certain point, I just started feeling restricted by relying on services. So mm-hmm. uh, I typically only have them now if there's like an original show that I need to watch uh, or something. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm just renting right. and buying. And you can go, yeah, you can go and pick it up if you need to. Like I now that the the, the curse is over, the Benny Safdie, Nathan Felder, Emma Stone show. Now that I know that's done, I'm gonna probably get Showtime for like a month, and then watch watch through that, and then probably cancel. Yeah. You know, I do that during I do that during the the spooky season for like AMC Plus because you know sometimes they have a lot of good classic horror on there that I don't own, so mm-hmm. uh, and that tends to work. You just have to remember to cancel. That's where they get me. Oh yeah, I have oh. no doubt Shudder's streaming numbers are like mm-hmm. ten times what they normally are in October. Yeah, that said, Shudder for the value, um, because I think it's still only like what eight bucks. Um, it's it's cheaper than most. That yeah. said, though, their video quality is still only seven twenty p. So they're they're kind of yeah. they're slumming it in other ways. Yeah, but you know, uh, I, I listened to a podcast go over their top ten horror movies of the year, and like three of them were Shutter exclusives. So mm. at least they're producing good content through there, and there's a lot of good classic stuff. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure how much of that stuff they produce, or if they just buy like, like the you know, distribution. Yeah, they're they're, they're like yeah. indie movies that they pick up mm-hmm. for for exclusive distribution. Uh, not that it really matters one way or the other, but... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, have you seen Where Evil Lurks? Or When Evil Lurks? Uh, uh, no, but it is on the, the okay. streams after midnight to-do list. We're doing 2023 catch-up. We just did mm-hmm. Exorcist Believer, and uh, we've got a list of like six movies that we want mm-hmm. to get through that, uh, before we do our top ten in end of March, give or take. Because that was on the list uh, pretty pretty high. Because what they, what they did is, like, your system of, you know... You everyone submits their list, right? And then they they do the analytics and they mm. place it how you used to do the top tens, right? Um, 
And so that was because it was kind of middle on everybody's. It ended up kind of high when they talked about it. Sure, and I was like, oh, yeah. okay. You know, um, since it was on everyone's list. I just, I heard it's very mean. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know if I need that in, in the winter time. I'm, I'm already having some hard times. I am looking forward to watching that more than I am all the other things that we're doing soon. Because I'm not looking forward to watching The Nun 2. Yeah. <laughs> or some of these other yeah. things that are on the list. Exorcist, I mean, Exorcist yeah. Believer was pretty rough so yeah that's been on the list and me and ash are both like well do you want to watch it because i don't because look I, I like halloween ends a lot but those first two dave gordon grade ones are varying oh. degrees like you the know? first half of it's just kind of okay but the it, it yeah. goes into it's, it's very much exorcist the force awakens or exorcist dark fate or exorcist jurassic world yeah. or exorcist afterlife you see what Ex i'm saying here it's just yes. it's just that but for exorcist, exorcist again another exorcist is oh what they we brought a it. character back from the original uh, film and from what i hear for no reason like, there's absolutely no reason no. in the movie they gave that justified uh, that character um which is crazy too because i was gonna watch it for the the 50th of the exorcist because uh, it dropped you know at the end of december mm. 50 years ago um and i was and i was like i saw your review of it and i was like eh, maybe we'll wait maybe <laughs> i i gotta i gotta check with tim first you know i mean he, he wasn't much more positive than me yeah. I, i'll tell you that <laughs> and, and that so when you both line up on the bad side uh you know i like to split the difference between you two so if I if I talk to you and you're like oh it was good and Tim's like eh or vice versa I usually check it out and see whose side I'm on but when you guys mm. both line up I tend to follow that one you know so uh, but yeah uh, did you see Thanksgiving yet no that okay it's it's because Tim's not really been able to go to the theater I've not really been seeing yeah. a lot of theater horror movies recently because mm -hmm. uh, you know we're not doing them in the show most of them right. look bad so I'll just wait until we're doing them for the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if it was out yet, but yeah. I was curious on. With on that one, I one. don't think we're going to do it while we're catching up. I think we're just going to wait yeah. until November when it's seasonal that again. Makes that makes sense. Um, not that it's seasonal for me ever, because Thanksgiving's a foreign, yeah. weird, yeah. mystical concept to me. We, but we have it, we have it uh, here, and they have it in Canada. But theirs in Canada is in October, so it, it's doubly funny that that counts as a, a Halloween movie in Canada. Is. You know? <sighs> Yeah, yeah, that's fine. It did come out in November here, I think. Mm -hmm. So it's just, you know, deal with it. It's not a holiday we have, but it's a horror movie, so here it is. I mean, nothing will be as egregious as in My Bloody Valentine in, in the original, where the 20-year-olds the are getting upset that the Valentine's Day dance has been cancelled. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, this so. group of adults, whatever will they do, yep. Yep. they could just have a party whenever they want, because they're adults. Why are they yep. upset? Yeah, so nothing, nothing. I think will be as egregious, but yeah, just curious on those thoughts. I'm not going to paint it either way. Though that said, if you check uh, my top ten of the year, it's it's firmly in there. So, you know, but really, you're uh, a big fan of Eli Roth, the director of Green Inferno. Now, are you? I I am not, but I am a big fan of Thanksgiving. Uh, the self, it might be his best movie. Uh, but I'm also okay. not a huge fan of his. So that's not saying a lot, right? That's like, you know, but low. What do they say? Low, low... Hanging fruit. No, not that. No? Uh, selection pool, right? It's a low not bar. Not to choose from. Yeah. So, we're not talking about James Cameron here. You know what I mean? No, we are not. No. <laughs> Which, by the way, the Abyss rocks. Yep. It still rocks. 
I highly recommend it, but make sure you watch the longer special edition cut. Two hours and 50 minutes. That's the one you watch. Gotcha. And then that's available for purchase, right? It's available for purchase. Uh, it's $10 mm-hmm. in all your digital storefronts right now. Sweet. Um, so you, you could grab it if you wish. Uh, I'm sure it'll be rentable by the time the disc comes out in March, but I think right now yeah. it's only a purchase uh, you can do. Yeah. Heard the True Lies one, not as good. So. Uh, yeah, the, 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 the remaster of it is, is, is yeah. rough. Um, Sad times. Ah, uh, yes. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Coming Solid's top 10. Matt's favourite segment of the show is up first, mm-hmm. everyone. Uh, since you've enjoyed his rambling about whatever's going on in, in the lives. Uh, so we'll look at Tuesday 1st, of course, the DC Day for books. Matt, what is your prediction for number one? So I'm going to guess that... Uh, Birds of Praise 2. I'm going to guess that it's Batman. It is Batman. I, even, I was wondering why you were even debating with yourself. Because I just thought maybe people are falling off like we have, you know. <sighs> but then we're still reading it. Yeah, we're so, still reading it. But yeah, but we've got we a show. No. We, we, we have an yeah. excuse, okay? We have a show. People want to hear us talk about Batman. It's a thing. It's there. I mean, people may tell me they want to hear me talk about Fire and Ice, and I'll tell them to go F themselves. But <laughs> it's... <laughs> Starting to get that way with this Batman run, uh, to be honest. <laughs> hey, <laughs> so, that, the Patreon yeah. tier to force me to read a book is always there if you really want True. to. But uh, uh, I'm, I'm taking no part of it voluntarily. Um, yeah, Batman's number one. Number two is Shazam. Number three is Birds of Prey. So I would say that the books that should be high up, other than Batman, mm-hmm. are high up. So that's good. Uh, four is Neil Before Zod. Five is Titans Beast World Tour Atlantis. Six is Superman 78. Seven is Poison Ivy. Eight is Fire and Ice. Nine is Blue Beetle. And we're scraping here because 10 is Batman's Scooby-Doo Mysteries. So mm. at least it was a single issue. Yeah. So that's something. It's not a, it's not a collection. That's something. Uh, is that a complete Strange Adventures that's out? Yeah, Deluxe Edition came out this week, apparently. Very nice. good. Uh, wonderful book. Nice. Wonderful. Won many awards from the, the awards that year from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, back... and, and, this, and probably a little award called the Eisner. That's yes. probably a big deal, too. Ours is more important, more prestigious. True, okay? true. This, this was back when before Connor decided that he didn't like Tom King for some reason. God. You know, a lot of accusations get thrown at me that when I'm very stubborn <laughs> and when I make up my mind, I, I'll, I'll point you towards Connor's direction. I, I know uh, you, he's worse than I am. He, did, he had a thread a couple of days ago, or maybe yeah. last week or whatever it was, saying why he doesn't like Tom King anymore. It's like, yeah. they all sound like Tom King books. I'm like, so he's got a voice. Lots of writers yeah. have a voice. Uh, That's like saying you don't like Alfred Hitchcock because his movies are too Hitchcockian. And it's like, yeah, kind of the point there, bud. Or 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 Stephen King, same thing. Yeah. Uh, that that story was too Stephen Kingish. Oh, okay. Uh. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, it makes sense if you never liked the thing in the first place. Like mm-hmm. when I say something's too Zack Snyder. Yeah. Like, you know, I, I always disliked that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've always disliked his gratuitous slow motion and yeah. nihilistic characters well, and everything else that he does. I just feel there's better ways to phrase it if you're Connor. Right? <laughs> if you're and Connor. Going, uh, yeah, right. Like, uh, I don't like the way Tom King's dialogue sounds. And, you know, every book feels the same of the same style of dialogue. Not each character has its own voice. But instead, he's like, uh, it feels like a Tom King book. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> 
I, I would fight him. This. I would fight him that they all sound the same, to be honest. But I mean, oh, me too. Because they, they don't. Rorschach, yeah. Rorschach, and Danger Street are not the same at all. Yeah, they have the same artist. They have the same writer. Those two are two very different tones of books. Yeah, they feel very so, different to me. So I don't mm-hmm. know what he's talking about. Yes. Uh, Connor's an idiot. That is the the takeaway from this episode. Yep. Uh, feel free to uh, at him. Feel free to uh, yeah. harass him in the street. Send your attack dogs on them. Dogs, that's what it's saying. The smaller the dog, the better. (laughs) The smaller the dog, the more likely he is to injure himself, probably. Uh, Anyway, uh, Wednesday, look at the the rest of the industry. What you got to guess for number one? Yeah, so the only specialty book that I'm seeing is something called Fall of the House of X number one, and that's going to be my guess. Mm -hmm. That is indeed number one. Mm. I'm intrigued. I saw a tease this week on Twitter that uh, we are getting like a soft relaunch of X Men soon. Uh, Again, they're calling it the 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 post uh, like Hickman, even though yeah. Hickman's not been on the books for a while. That it's still no, in his they, like follow up, yeah. if you will. It was the status quo of the whole Krakoa yeah. stuff. Um, Maybe a refresh yeah. would uh, let me try some X Men books again. I don't me know. Me too. Because uh, I miss it. Because I, I didn't mind the, the House of X, Powers of X stuff. But then it started to get too much. And you were having to read three different books that Hickman was writing. And I just like, mm. I can't keep up with this and all the DC. Um, but there were ideas there that were that made X-Men feel different from all the other X-Men runs over the last, you know, 50 years. So credit credit words too. But yeah, I'm, I'm kind of ready to see what's next for, for the Mary Mutants. Yeah, yeah. Uh, number two is Moon Knight. Oh, sorry, Vengeance of Moon Knight. I yeah, say. that uh, looks that looks like a cool moody cover. Yeah, it covers quite pretty. Uh, number three is Amazing Spider-Man. Number four is Captain America. Uh, oh yeah, JMS is writing that. Well, I didn't realize he was really. Yeah, he's doing a Captain America book. Interesting. Is he walking across the country? That was the last <laughs> thing he did with Superman. No, but he's got a big famous Spider-Man run, and I know him from from Babylon Five more than anything mm-hmm. these days. So he's got some cred with me, and people like mm-hmm. his Thor run, I think. Mm-hmm. If I recall, big big fan of his Thor run. I, mm-hmm. I like what he did with the whole concept of Ragnarok and rebirth, and it kind of set the stage for Jason Aaron's uh, Thor. So, uh, yeah, isn't his Spider-Man one the one that has a uh, the, the the Green Goblin and Gwen Stacy? I think so, and that's very divisive. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. I actually read some of it and liked what I did, although I do remember mm-hmm. there would been some... I mean, it was it wasn't as bad back then, but there, there was John Romita Jr. art was uh, yeah. definitely in there, from what I recall. Yeah. But uh, I remember there'd been a very good issue uh, where Aunt May finds out Peter's Spider-Man, and there's a, mm-hmm. an issue just called The Conversation. And I remember thinking that was very good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. it has been a while, though, so I don't recall much of what I read. Uh, five is Fantastic Four. Six is Doctor Strange. Seven is Thanos. Uh, eight is Darth Vader. Nine is Star Wars: The High Republic, and ten is Miguel O'Hara's Spider Man. Must be a, a tie-in to the Spider Verse stuff. I guess so. Uh, yeah. Steve Orlando on that one specifically. So, there you go. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was all Marvel, wasn't it? There was not a single non-Marvel book in the top ten. No, and I'm looking even on League of Comic Geeks. The there's there's nothing. Conan Conan comes in at like twelve. No, nope, Walking Dead Deluxe. Yeah, 
You have to that's get to fourteen, and you get a, I think that's a boom book there, right. Pain and uh, Merrimack by Kyle Starks, and then mm-hmm. then there's some image books and stuff. But yeah, very very heavy Marvel week on the on the Wednesday chart this this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, well, there's a Planet of the Apes book out. What's this issue one? Beware the Planet of the Apes. Huh. Is this gonna lead into the new movie? Is this its own thing? Uh, I I feel like it's its own thing. If anything, I, I think I recognize a character from the original movies on the background of the cover, so I feel like it's well, probably it, just its own. Yeah, thing. it's about Cornelius and Zira, so yeah. it's definitely set in that. With uh, yeah. Okay. Um, cool. Oh well. See, uh, Marvel using some of those Fox properties they got a hold of when uh, mm-hmm. Disney went went. Shopping <laughs> went, went went Thanos mode, started collecting everything. Yep, yep. Yeah. Well, Disney had a pretty bad year in twenty twenty three. So yeah, yeah. Uh, uh-huh. Which honestly, they were kind of due. It's really bad for the industry when one company's on yep. top for too long. So mm-hmm. I, I'm more than happy that they didn't have a great yeah. year. Yeah, yeah. It's not like a. It's not a moral thing either. It's a you know. Yep. This is what happens when you oversaturate the market. Yeah, people tend to get tired of your product. Yeah, so. it's just it's just it's, you you want things to be fresh again, and mm-hmm. if one company is just playing the same safe card over and over again, which in Disney's case, mm-hmm. well, it's two cards: it's Marvel movies yep. and it's their their animated and sort of live action mm-hmm. remakes and that stuff. Um, sure. I would say Star Wars, but they actually crashed and burned with Star Wars years yeah. ago at this point. So uh, we'll we'll see yeah. what comes of that. I mean, at this point, uh, Star Wars is a TV product now. I mean, they keep threatening more movies, and I'm sure there will be one eventually. But it feels like we keep <laughs> other other people would say teasing, but Pete uses threatening when it comes to Star Wars. So <laughs> you Look, know, last year I actually watched the original trilogy again, and mm-hmm. they're still very good. Like I, I'm maybe a little critical of a few things that a lot of fans mm-hmm. love, like the Dagobah stuff in Empire. I could take or leave, but like you know, overall, very very solid trilogy. Lots mm-hmm. of things to like, right? Um, but I I just don't care for for yeah, more. Yeah, that's fine. I don't it's, need more. At this point, it's a taste thing. There's no mono nerd culture like there was 15 <laughs> years ago. You know what I mean? Where it felt like, where where there were splits and divergences, right? Where it felt like some people were more into Star Trek than they were into Star Wars and and whatever. And now I just feel like everyone kind of likes what they like. There's not really a mono culture in things. Um. So I'm just happy in my own little DC corner over here. Yeah, actually, on Star point. Wars, just a funny tidbit from the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was one of the anchors on Fox News this week said mm-hmm. something rather silly. Uh, she said that she doesn't like Star Wars because it's, quote, too woke. So she's a Trekkie. And then she held up this to show that she was a Trekkie, mm-hmm. which for people listening to the audio, I'm holding the Vulcan Spock sign up but I'm holding it the wrong way around because you yep. you do it that way. So it looked like mm-hmm. she was making some kind of gang sign. <laughs> and the only thing, the only thing that sticks out to me about this is that Star Trek from the sixties onwards, its creation has been a show about a utopia, socialist utopia with uh-huh. no currency, <laughs> right? <Yep. laughs> and I've been seeing people crack jokes all week about episodes where it was like promoting trans ideas in the eighties before mm-hmm. anyone else was really talking about mm-hmm. that in TV and movies. But no, the Fox News host, she's she's clearly a trackie. She knows her stuff. There's there's a story about when when Roddenberry was pitching it 
and someone just said, these aren't sci-fi stories. These are morality plays set in space. And Rodney went, shh, that's the point. You know, like he, he, he knew exactly what he was doing from jump. Yeah. You know, if uh, you package things up a certain way, people aren't going to notice it as much. And now, you know, it's, it, 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 that isn't, I'm not much of a Trek person. Right. But I still understand what the whole point of its creation was uh, and, and where it stands in the, the tapestry of culture. So that the fact that she says she doesn't like Star Wars because it's woke and she's a Trekkie will never not be funny. Yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, it's just it's, it's, something about not understanding the media that's being consumed is just such a thing for uh, that, mm-hmm. that ilk. Anyway, uh, should we talk about comics? Should we do that? We should. We should talk about new comics right now. Yeah. All right. Titans Beast World Tour Atlantis issue one. Matt, it's very excited to talk about this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <sighs> cool. <laughs> what right. are you waiting for? <laughs> I can not have to say, Matt. <laughs> well, I thought you were going to give the creative teams and just set, and well, set no, me up. Well, no, because isn't it like multiple creators and teams? So, yeah, so it is, but uh, I thought you had them in front of you. So No, I, no, for these books where there's like three look. or four stories that all have different yeah. teams, I just say them as we're going through the book. This, this so, is on you. you, you so we have we have the first story is by Sina Grace and Ricardo Federici, and it's essentially what, the, what Atlantis was doing when... Uh, when the spores first start falling and Arthur is just trying to get back to be with Andy and, um, and Mira has to start taking the lead because Aquaman's up doing Aquaman stuff with the justice league. Uh, but she ends up going and talking to Garth to, to Tempest who is hanging out with Tula and they're trying to get romantic. And my, my main problem with this story is that it makes it almost feel like, like the tone is that there's something up with Tempest, and we know from reading Beast World, right, that he's got one of the Necrostar guys in him from uh, from Brother Eternity. Um, but he's just feeling off. He, it's not feeling like it's because of the Necrostar. Uh, but it all this all is taking place after we already know he's been infected and whatever. Um, but so it, it's you know through Mira, um, she's like you know Garth, there's something up with you. You know, you're not acting like yourself. You know, you, you, we thought you hanging out with the Titans would be good because you're getting out of Atlantis, uh, out of your little nook. Right. Um, and, uh, as, as they're going, more of these spores are starting to affect the Atlanteans and it's giving them like, you know, whereas, whereas they, uh, like on, on the surface land, you know, they turn into these big monsters here. They're getting like cross. So like in the beginning, Aquaman's fighting tiger shark. Well, he calls him tiger shark, but it's King shark, but he's been inspected on the spore. So he's also getting like tiger like features. So you're getting some cool, you know, mixed creatures stuff going on. Federici's art looks great. Like it always does. Right. Um, but Arthur ends up getting infected. Um, and Mara and, and Aqualad Jackson, have to work a little bit of like magic to uh, get him into like stasis. So they're, they're able to pull some Zabellian magic and uh, keep him chained up uh, to where, you know, Andy's wondering where her dad is. Um, So it gets a bit tragic there, but you know, uh, it also plays with the threads of Garth and, you know, like what exactly was he doing down in Atlantis? You know, was he down there to infect them with, with that type of stuff too? 
with Brother Eternity. Um, who knows? But but yeah, it's again, it's one of those fill-in stories that I don't think it's going to really impact the the Beast World story as a whole. Um, and, and yeah, the Federici art is really the, the top top piece of it. Him drawing Atlantis and uh, Sina Grace playing with the uh, the whole Atlantean uh, like continuity, right? We we see what was her name, the the Reverend Mother Satea, right? Who's you know part of the ruling council. Um, they talk about the Crown of Thorns defense system and and all that stuff. So you know it, it felt nice to visit that NECA DC since it's been a while because I can't tell you the last time. I think I read the first issue of Black Manta was the first time or the last time that I read uh, uh, an Aquaman book. So. Um, the second story, what's that? I just said it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the second story is by Frank Thierry and Valentin Leandro or DeLeandro. Um, and, and this one's a lot more fun. Um, and it's called just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, which instantly from there I was, I'm like, okay, let's uh, see what's here. Someone made the Josh reference. So Matt is yeah. in a good mood oh, now. It's more than that. So uh, we already know, like, I, I like Valentin DeLeandro's art. Like, it's got that blocky, you know, kind of pulpy, um, heavy dark lines in uh, not muted colors, but they're not, like, the brightest. Uh, and it just sets a certain tone, right? It sets a kind of pulpy, adventure tone. Um, and so this starts uh, up in Amnesty Bay, and there is a, a police chief and a guy in a very bad, you know, tan suit with an orange tie talking about how we can't close the beaches uh, because there's been some manta ray attacks and the, uh, you know, it, the, the frame pushes in and would you know it? The, the, the guy in the, the suit is drawn to look like the mayor from jaws. Uh, and, and the police chief, when it goes to him kind of looks like Roy Scheider, right? So it's definitely, uh, DeLandro and Terry having fun there where, as as the police chief is like, we got to close. We don't know where Aquaman is. Like, this seems like, you know, something that that he should be on top of. Why is he not? Um, the, the mayor's like, oh, no, I heard about a town in Long Island that closed their beaches and they never recovered. Right. So, of course, more Jaws references. And this is where they end for the most part um, is the this gigantic like tail comes up out of the water and, and snaps the mayor into two, right? And right in front of the police chief, he tries to, you know, get things going, but he can't. Um, and so that leads to our, our heroes that we had met in the Waller Rising book coming in and Deadeye oh, and how Nixon. could I forget? Yep. My favorite. So, uh, <laughs> yep. So, so Deadeye and Vixen pop in. And they're like, okay, we're on top of this. There's there's some weird, you know, animal spore things going around. We're pretty sure this is Black Manta. Uh, to the police chief goes, okay, well, we got to find a new mayor now. I don't think he's winning re-election. Um, and so uh, they go off in into like a, a, a submarine with Deadeye. Um, Captain Boomerang's also there uh, under the uh, guise of uh, Waller sent him because he's familiar with Black Manta uh, because they were on the Suicide Squad, which I don't remember Black Manta being on the Suicide Squad, but um, I'm not saying it didn't happen. It just doesn't, you know, when I think Black Manta, I don't think Suicide Squad. 
so they go and they start hunting again. It's not the last of the Jaws references, but they end up going hunting for this gigantic black manta uh, uh, into the ocean. Um, and they end up getting him. Vixen tries to use her her tie into the red to try to calm him down, and it starts to work. And despite that, Boomerang throws a harpoon, and uh, it strikes this gigantic black manta uh, creature, uh, and it starts thr- thrashing around again. Uh, eventually, Deadeye and Vixen get things under control, um, and they they get Black Manta, and they end up pulling the spore out, uh, and it returns it back to size. And Vixen starts to wonder, wait, so this is the second time you've been infected with one of those things, and this time you grew to be a, a gigantic stingray. Like, what is going on? Uh, and Captain Boomerang looks at his phone. There's an incoming call. They ask him who it is. He goes, who do you think? Uh, and he starts talking to Waller, and uh, it goes into Waller's lab. She tells him, you know, you you failed. You're supposed to bring the manta creature back because this is uh, part of our my you know second part of my plan. Um, Boomerang tells her that you know nothing I could do. Vixen and and Deadeye are kind of on top of things, uh, and then she goes, "That's fine. I have backups," and it shows that she has dolphin from Atlantis uh, and exposes her to a, a, a spore. And she claims that she's the one that infected black Manta with this new kind of spore that she's tampering with. Uh, so out of the stories, this one was, you know, besides all the jaw stuff, which, which I do love and I appreciate it kind of did push Waller's story forward, which I find is weird considering these are in backups that I don't know how many people are reading. Right. So, like, again, not that her messing with the spores is a big story point that they can't cover. It just seems weird that it's happening in, in this backup to be introduced. Um, but, yeah, again, the art is fantastic. The The gigantic manta ray looks great in the art style. Uh, Deadeye's costume, who I'm not a big fan of because it's got that weird Cyclops kind of mask with the almost skull mm. aspect. It looks more like just machine. It almost looks like he's just wearing a big you know, face mask on his head. Um, and the way that DeLeandro draws the cape, it just kind of, it gives him more bulk. It makes him look like a more imposing figure, which is kind of nice. Um, uh, but yeah, it was uh, out of the stories. It's probably the, the, the best here, uh, which then leads to the, the last story, which is uh, out of his depths uh, by Megan Fitzmartin and Maria Laura Sanapo. Um, and this is, this is Jackson's story continued from the, the first part where he's with Mara and he's supposed to be watching Andy while she tries to, you know, uh, fix Arthur, uh, and Jackson's trying to do more. He's afraid that Mara only thinks of him as his father's son, uh, and that he's, you know, got the chip on his shoulder cause he's. He's always admired Mira, right? And it's not just because he's half Zabellian um, and all of that. It's that he looks at her as like a true leader in ways that Arthur's just not. And that, you know, uh, with his powers, with the, the water bending and all of that, he, you know, he needs, you know, he feels a kinship with her and he feels like it's not returned. So there's a lot of cool character stuff in here for for Jackson and Mira. Uh, but because Jackson's so careless in how they're handling 
this they these a bunch of these shark creatures started attacking and uh jackson realizes that they're amazons that have been infected with the spores so once they pull the spores from them though you're gonna have these you know air breathers stuck underwater so jackson uses his water powers to put like a bubble around their heads uh so when they pull the when they pull the spores out uh, and they turn back to regular humans they can get them back to the surface um one of these spores as he's pulling it out of an amazon uh gets into mara and she turns into like this kind of eel creature um that has arms so it kind of looks weird like out of all of the creature designs it's definitely the most unsettling uh, and she goes back to the to the palace to to looks like to attack Andy. So Jackson comes in there and is able to stop her uh, with the help of Tula and uh, Mother Satea. And uh, they end up, you know, Jackson's like, well, whatever happens, I'm sure the Titans above are, are going to be able to because the best that we can do is is you know hold hold this down and try to keep as many spores down here as we can. Um, and yeah, uh, the art is it's it's what you would call the house style from DC. Uh, it's kind of it has the the heavier kind of rounded lines of like um, who's that the artist that we talked about last week that has the is it Panarin I think or Passerin? Um, oh, Passerin, yeah. Yeah, it's Passerin. It's it's very similar to Passerin. Panarin's a hockey player, so if anybody's wondering. Uh, that's where my where my brain went there, uh, but yeah, and it's I don't have a problem with Fitzmartin as a writer, she, you know they they tend to have Jackson's voice down. I just there's certain ways that that things that happen in the story, uh, just you know stuff that we've been critical from reading their Robin book, uh, where you know it's it's just off by just enough that you notice it, uh, but in a story like this and in, in a anthology tie-in you can do a lot worse right like it, you know i don't know if i'd want want them on a full-time aquaman book but here in small samples it's fine uh but but yeah so that's what you're missing on the atlantis world tour uh oh, you know no. three three yeah uh, and again it's weird that the waller stories seem to be the the best out of them considering you know the waller rising book was kind of a mess but with the almost like the right focus like frank Thierry, i feel is one of those writers that handles the the ancillary stuff pretty well, um, and had a little bit more fun with the with the concept. So, um, not going to do these individually, but the art really is strong between DeLeandro and uh, Federici. Um, so I'll give this a seven out of ten. Okay. All right. I think I'll just sleep over the fact that I didn't read it. To be honest. Nah. So out of so far out of them, it's this one is probably the strongest. It's a little bit stronger than the um, Speed Force one, just because the Speed Force one had the overarching narrative, but it had some weak stories into her. All of these are kind of on the same level, right? They're all there's not really a, a real bad one. They were just kind of all at the same level. So, OK. All right. Well. Batman 141 Legacy Number 906, Chip Zarsky writing with Jorge Jimenez on the art. Also, it looks like they've taken the Legacy Number off the cover. Uh, at least just looking at mm. the cover on League of Comic Geeks anyway, it doesn't seem to be there. But don't worry, I'll keep track. I, 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 like, I like that you're doing that, though. Yeah. Uh, so, 
last issue ended with the reveal that ZuNR somehow is now in failsafe, the the robot, mm-hmm. and that's what we're going to be looking at uh, here. So, um, if, 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 I mean, it's an action issue, right? It's like most lo- yeah. most of it's a chase. Most of it's the robot chasing Batman, and <sighs> Batman trying to figure out how to fight failsafe. I think. <sighs> In some ways, it's better than the issues we've had recently because at least it is just fun action and Jimenez drawing it. I think mm-hmm. the, the critique here, though, is that we already had good versions of this back in the first arc when it was just failsafe chasing Batman. Mm-hmm. The fact that it's Zuranar inside failsafe now doesn't really change the the way it plays out all that much. Uh, but it does look good because Jimenez is a good artist. So mm-hmm. you know, I, I can't deny that. There is a quick break in the middle where we cut to Dick and Babs talking to the uh, the French cat burglar. Uh, turns out Dick went and trained with her as well at some point, mm-hmm. they mentioned here. Uh, fair which, enough. Which makes sense because it feels like out of all of the mentors, Bruce trusted her the most. So she, he, you know, he would send his ward to train in, in the ways of the cat burglar. Mm-hmm. So... It's funny to me though, because when we got that story in the night, there was kind of a flirtation of like she don't get me wrong, she was definitely mm-hmm. an older woman than Bruce, but mm-hmm. she was young enough that there was kind of this oh like, uh, anyway, you seducing me, Mrs. Robinson kind of like attraction mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, it just makes me, uh, I'm just laughing to think that he sends Dick off like ten years later, mm-hmm. and like he's a teenager and she's probably in her fifties or sixties uh-huh. by that point. <laughs> Because, I mean, here she's, what, like 70-something? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but regardless, uh, so it's just them. They, they're they aware that ZuNR is in failsafe, but most of the issue is the action. It's, it's the robot chasing after Batman in a car that he's taken. Uh, Batman tries to take him out with some fancy foam bombs that he's developed for someone else, mm-hmm. uh, for Killer Moth yeah. specifically. Yeah, so it's like flame, flame-resistant foam. Yeah. But it's solid enough that, you know, he he drops it in the car, you know, so it keeps the car going. Yeah, um, uh, he doubles back to the, the hut that Failsafe mm-hmm. was building all of his stuff in, which Failsafe actually predicts. You know, Failsafe, like, thinks about going to Gotham because that's where Batman mm-hmm. would probably go, most people would think. But he's like, mm-hmm. no, 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 what would, what would Batman do? He would double back because he, he needs weapons. And a lot of this is Failsafe slash Zuranar saying, you're weak now, you're not as strong as you used to be. Like, you're eventually probably going to replace half your body with robotics anyway. You should retire. I'll take care of the Batmaning. You just live your, the rest of your life peacefully. So this is what made me think. Was this Zernar's entire plan, right? Because we know that Zernar created the failsafe program, right? Mm-hmm. It came from, from an idea that if Bruce went too far, then this would have to be... Uh, we know that it came... So do you think this was always the Zernar personality's idea... And if that's the case, I don't know if I like it that the Zernar is an actual different personality than Bruce. Yeah, this almost feels like it's becoming like a completely separate entity where yeah. almost as if Batman was schizophrenic. And I don't, yeah. I've never read it that way. And it's never felt no. that way. And I always like the idea of Zernar is just like, what if Bruce was just Batman full time? And that's the Zernar. Like, it's a piece of his personality. It's like if things go really, really bad, right, That that's who he becomes. You know, there's no more humanity of Bruce Wayne in him. Yeah, it's, it's like a darker side to himself that he taps yeah. into when he can't handle with whatever's going on or whatever. That yeah. this, this feels like it's interpreted in a way that I'm just not that into. But 
at this yeah. point it feels par for the course with this run where i just feel like every yeah. turn he's interpreted something in a way that i don't like <laughs> but yeah so it was just like this idea like there was this backup personality put in him you know by by bruce and it, it's I mean that that's up there with the Batman making machine that Snyder did. Yeah, I, at the end I was of, just thinking of that. It's the exact same sort of thing that I don't like mm-hmm. about that. I I don't like, like I'm all for Batman prepping, but there's a certain yep. point where you're you're using too many really silly high concept things mm-hmm. that, and I know we're in the DC universe where there's Green Lanterns and there's Superman yeah. and there's all these other things going on, but I still like Batman to have some resemblance of being grounded mm-hmm. in the world that he, he- comes from. Yeah, he should have a tether to humanity. It's... And that, that tether is Bruce Wayne and Alfred and the family. So, you know, anytime I like in stories where, you know, Rambi kind of did this at the beginning of Tech, where he wasn't feeling right, so he starts to isolate himself. And by isolating himself, he starts to make himself worse off because he doesn't have that support structure, you know, his tether there. And, and here it's almost like, well, no, there is no tether. There's only Zuranar. Uh, and it's just like, eh. and, and then also, how do you get that personality into the robot? Like, again, I know this is a, a place where cyborg Superman exists, right? And, and Henshaw can jump from technology to technology, but that's not, Bruce Wayne's not Henshaw, you know? It, well, yeah, but Henshaw's still just Henshaw, though. This right. is part of Bruce Wayne, effectively, that's jumped right. separately. That Like, Henshaw is not split his mind into two right. to do that. It's still just him. Yet. Well, yeah, give, yeah. Give headshot time, but yeah. But, so, but at least if it goes that waste place with him, he's mm-hmm. already operating in such a like right. over the top sci fi high concept world. Mm-hmm. I just don't like when they force this sort of shit into Batman. I don't, I don't yeah. want it. <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, he gets cool laser arm gauntlets in this that, uh, that he fights the robot but- with. I just feel like out of nowhere to me, though. It's like, oh, yeah. Failsafe oh. just had these lying around. Yeah. So Batman picked them up and started using them. I don't know. Yeah. I got no satisfaction out of that. That like I thought the the car chase part was was fun enough, mm-hmm. even though it felt like a retread of stuff we've done before with Failsafe. Mm-hmm. But once it got into the you know the the laser sword or whatever it is that he's using, yeah. uh, I was just kind of out of it. And the end of the issue is that Failsafe wins and knocks Batman out. He wakes up seemingly weeks later in a cell and who's in the cell with him or the cell next to him depending on your interpretation Mm -hmm. here it's the joker and he's got his mask off by the way so i mean we've already established in this run that joker knows who batman is but right uh just you know just re-clarifying that and and it's uh, joker's got a broken neck because he's wearing a full-on halo neck brace uh going on so uh seems like failsafe messed him up as well yeah uh but bruce says okay you know about zoo and r how do you know about this what have you got to do with them and then joker says oh i'll tell you everything and it says next joker year one so we're getting the the story the early story of how joker interacted with with uh zoo and r i guess so okay i don't like that i, I like when joker and it's almost like Joker only cares about Batman. He doesn't care about Bruce Wayne. That's my preferred version of Joker. You know? Well, <laughs> so when they get too familiar now, it's kind of like, well, you know. I, I don't necessarily care that much about that because I don't think Joker sees them as different people. I think Joker sees Batman how Batman sees himself is that mm-hmm. he is Batman and that Bruce Wayne's nothing but, uh, you know, a, a 
sham that he puts on right. in the day to disguise who he really is. Uh, I think for me, this just retconning into the backstory that Joker has encountered Zero and R in the past. It, this just it feels more like. It's just this all feels like just high concept retconning to me that I just mm-hmm. don't like the the idea of. I just fundamentally yeah. don't like. I think Zero and R is a, an idea has been taken too far and literal with this run. Yeah. Um, it's it, I liked it more when it was more of a like a vague state of mind yeah. that was kind of like. Well, it fit the first time I was introduced to Zero and R was in Morrison's Batman R.I.P. Right. Well, yeah, obviously, they, that's where most people first heard of Zero and R. Right, but but that was also a concept that Morrison had it had been floating around, right? Morrison plucked it from the Silver Age and put it in there, and it was it was a failsafe, right? It was that if anything happens to Bruce, this this from his training, this personality pops up to you know, um, so this but this is just taking that like you said, this, this is taking it too literally. It's no more a figurative personality. It's, it's actual. Uh, this is going to sound so harsh, but this feels like mm-hmm. fan fiction. It feels like mm-hmm. someone read what Morrison did with Zero and mm-hmm. R and is just taking it to these obvious literal places that just, mm-hmm. to me, is so uninteresting and just devalues any of the mystique that it had. Uh, yeah. I, this is, in some ways, the worst of like trying to just keep doing more with the things that have already been established. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've not been liking this run, uh, pretty definitively for a while, and mm-hmm. nothing in this issue, despite the good art, despite yeah. some fun action, really is remotely bringing me around on it. Uh, yeah. Especially since, like, you know, halfway through the issue, I'm like, oh yeah, Batman got his hand cut off. <laughs> That's yeah. right. He's got a robot hand right now, and it's just it feels like it's just a bunch of weird shit that it's not going to stick for that long. Like, as soon as this run is done, we're going to move on from that. Mm-hmm. I, I, at least I hope we do, because I don't want to deal with it. No. I'm just waiting for the Bruce clone to come out that is going to be free of Zuranar, and that's how that's how Zadarsky I mean, I, resolves I, all this. I, don't, don't, don't wish things into existence, Matt, that we don't want. Um, I, I think it's just a sign of a run where... Because it sounded like I was saying there that I'm annoyed that none of this is going to matter after, but that's actually not what I'm saying. I'm annoyed because I'm hoping none of this matters after. And that's not mm-hmm. what I want from a run. When I'm enjoying a run in a comic book, I don't want the next writer to erase what just happened. I want them to continue it because if I was enjoying where the story took the characters and I'm enjoying the things that established, the relationships that maybe formed out of some of the side characters and stuff, I want that to continue. Everything in this run, I can't wait until they forget about it. Yeah. And that is the worst possible feeling when you're reading the comic book run is that I can't wait until this is just retconned. Yeah, I don't disagree. Um, I guess it, it feels like a chore now too, just because it's like, okay, well, what are we, what are we doing next? You know, like now we're, it's, and, and for me too, less is more with Joker. I don't need a Joker year one ever. You know, that's kind of, I, I like the small pieces we get in the killing joke of the different origins that could be, you know? And so just the idea that this is, we're going to get this and Joker dealing with Zer and R, I just, ugh, it doesn't set me in a good place. No. I mean, I, I, it depends what Joker gear one is. If like, cause let's say the story that King and uh, Gareth are doing and Brave mm-hmm. and the Bold right now, which is the first time Batman and Joker ever came across mm-hmm. each other. If they had just called that Joker year one, 
Yeah. I'd, I'd understand why they called it that because it's the first time Joker's like around in Gotham. It's the first time mm-hmm. he's fighting Batman. I would have understood that title. It would have made sense, and there'd be nothing wrong with it because it it would just be that story. The implications, though, of what we're going to maybe get in a Joker year one, especially when I don't like all this, you know, three Jokers nonsense that's going on, and yep. and whatever else, uh, is 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 not it's not appetizing. I'll just say that. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I just. I, it feels like we're just doing a bunch of concepts with, with Batman and Joker right now that's just really, like, high-concept stuff that is just taking everything in directions that I, I really just don't like about these. It's not why I like these characters for, in any way, shape, or form. And you mm-hmm. know me, I hate when they retcon characters into the backstories as if they're important. And mm-hmm. obviously we're not retconning Joker into the backstory because Joker's you know been around, but... Right. This idea that he's had a an encounter with Zurnar that's going to be like a multi-issue arc is, yeah. and especially if this is actually going to give his origin stuff as well, which I don't know if it is, but you know the fact yeah. that it's called Year One kind of implies that it might, mm-hmm. and I don't like that idea either. So, uh, yeah, I'm still going to read the next issue though because we're going to talk about it and I'm going to complain about it and it's going to be a delightful time of misery. So enjoy yeah. enjoy the ride, folks. Did you read the backup? Did I fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I like I'll keep reading the book, but there is not a single ounce of me that okay. wanted to read the backup when I got to Did you read the backup? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because oh, if I'm on, paying man. for this book, I'm gonna read it all. Um So this is uh the the high point, the, so this is Zadarski. By the way, art that is the win. sunk cost fallacy you just said there. <laughs> True, but if I'm if I'm still buying a book physically, I'm going to read the full thing. You know, you're what buying I mean? this physically. Yes, I have a problem, Pete. <laughs> I didn't know that. Okay, God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I have to keep the streaks going, so I I have an uninterrupted run of Batman from from when it restarted. Uh, in 2011, yeah. or 2016. In in both. Well, <laughs> uh, 2011 then. It, it, okay. Yeah. So. Uh, anyways, this is this is uh, Zdarsky and Wynn on art, which uh, Dustin Wynn doing Batman. I'm I'm here for that. But yeah, there's just basically in the mind of Zern R as he was transferring from Bruce into Failsafe, uh, and him dealing with all of the other Zern R's that are basically, you know, w- you promised us. Uh, you know, it was almost like in Split, right? You remember the the Shyamalan movie with uh, what's his name? Uh, James McAvoy yeah with McAvoy where they're talking about taking control of the spotlight this is basically the Zernar personalities trying to push the Bruce's of 616 that's that's Marvel of Earth Zero Um, uh, they're trying to push him to letting them take control because you know and he has to fight it ends up being the Batman Beyond version of Bruce uh, who's an old man um, cause of course Zernar wouldn't be Terry. Uh, it has to be Bruce. Um, and they end up fighting and Zernar, you know, is like, uh, he's all of them, but he's better. This is why it's him. And, uh, they'll all sit and wait their turn because as soon as he figures us out, he's going to send them back and they'll do all the same. So essentially it's, you know, the, the Michael Keaton Batman, it's the red rain Batman, um, it's Batman 66, uh, all basically 
learning from the the main continuity Bruce Zernar. Um, and that's basically it. There's a lot of cool coloring that it's doing where it's the Zernar colors that are making up the background. So it's like the purple and yellow and mm-hmm. uh, and blue, and there's this gradient to it that looks great. So the colors is really doing some work. I mean, yeah, they are uh, solid. Like Dustin when yeah. those what he's doing. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it's just basically a fight scene between old Bruce and Zernar uh, for control. And then, you know, at the end, it's it's Zernar suiting up and putting his cape on on the failsafe bot. And it's just like, it's fine, you know. But I appreciate the win art because we got the Jimenez doing all the different uh, Zernars and the, the, the last issue or the issue before. Um, and now we get Wen doing it. And, uh, you know, it's a skill that I like seeing them do, you know, adapt the different styles of Batman. So, uh, but yeah, overall, it's kind of just a, a skip. So you, you made the, the wise decision. I always do, Matt. Yeah. I always do. Ah. Uh... Yeah, this Batman run. <laughs> All this high concept nonsense they keep throwing at Batman. Just, oh, anyway. Yep, it's something. All right, what are you rating Batman 141? <sighs> so the art's solid. The story, not so much. I'll give it a 6.5. I got a 5.5. Oof. That's all it's getting from me. All right. Birds of Prey issue five, legacy number 203, Kelly Thompson rating with uh, Arist Den on the R. I'm probably butchering that name, so apologies. Uh, So, yeah, different artists on this issue, which I was prepared for because I saw Kelly Thompson tweeting about it. Uh, So, uh, that's not to say that the art is bad, though. I actually think the art's pretty solid. Uh, I don't like the faces. That's Uh, fair. The the faces are very samesy. However, but the way I saw people complaining about the art, I was ready for like Riley Rosmo style body contortions and weird breakdowns. But outside the faces, everything's pretty solid, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the- uh, obviously, yeah. We, we really like the Romero art that was there yeah. before. And obviously, we're looking forward to that being back. But because mm-hmm. um, I saw Thompson say, oh, it's, this book's from a different mm-hmm. perspective. And I went mm-hmm. in thinking it was going to be more different than it was, but yeah. I, it just kind of felt like the next chapter in me. I didn't really get yeah. that sense. But uh, so, yeah, the big god thing is woken up. Uh, yeah, Megara. Megara, thank you, because I was not going to remember that name. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. So the birds are all fighting, uh, the veins are all coming from it, and they're all talking about how weird it is. Uh, Zealot stays back to fight on a bunch of Amazons. Uh, there's a cool little moment here where she cracks her neck as if like alright it's go mm-hmm. time so that's decent fun but Sin's inside the as in Madeira so she's inside yeah, all Magera. the veins or Megara yep. sorry uh, she's inside all the veins and Megara's talking to her and there's a whole big bit here actually that's really good where Dinah basically falls to her knees and is like mm-hmm. just lost Hopeless. because because she thinks she's lost she thinks Sin's gone for good now and the others are trying to pep her up and say, it's not it's not over yet, we can still save her. Uh, and there's a fun bit here where Harley tries to give her a pep talk and then gets harsher, mm-hmm. and then when she realizes that's not working, she slaps her in the face, which mm-hmm. uh, makes the rest of them all uh, kind of turn and be like, hey, Harley, what the hell? Uh, but that actually works and gets Dinah back up. It's only two pages, yeah. but it's a really fun couple of pages. It's... Uh, I especially like the joke where uh, Harley says, oh, don't ask Cass about this. You can't get that one to shut up yep. once she starts talking. I got a good chuckle yep. out of that. 
I like that. And then when she slaps Dinah, it's Barda and Cass at the same time saying Harley. So just the fact that, you know, still Thompson's continuing their connection, you know, uh, that's going through there. Yeah. uh, So, you know, we actually go inside and like have Sin talking to Megara and Megara basically wants to take over her body, but she's not done it yet. There has to be a ritual or something Mm -hmm. that's that's going to come up that the actual transfer will happen. Uh, but Megara basically mocks her for having a shitty, boring life. Like, look at look at this. Like, you you read, you you train a little bit, you go to sleep, then you read, you train. Oh, time for another nap. She basically says you're wasting your life anyway. I might as well take your body because I'll actually do something with it. People will fear us. They'll worship us. Uh, so that that goes as the others are trying to find t- a way to get inside, and it ends up being. A combination of Bard holding the veins open and Canaries screaming her lungs out into the yeah. into the abyss of the the veins. Uh, so Canary gets in and reunites with Sin, and it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of good action in this. There's a basically you've got all the stuff with with Zella. Cass ends up finding her after she's been she's been put down, and uh, that's when Map shows up from the future and is like. Mm-hmm. And there's a good bit here where you see the shadow and they're like, oh no, we've got a problem. And like, look at her eyes. She's been taken over by Megara. And of course, you turn the page, and it's Wonder Woman. So, but I actually really like the payoff to this because, like, they're they're fighting Wonder Woman, right? And uh-huh. there's a point where Zealot realizes, oh wait, it's Wonder Woman's body, but it's not actually Wonder Woman who's fighting. And it mm-hmm. turns out Megara's nowhere near as good. So she actually is doing quite a job fighting her. So I thought that yeah. was a fun little bit. It's like, oh yeah, she's taking over Wonder Woman, but she doesn't know how to fight like her. So mm-hmm. the actual fight's not as bad as you would, as you would think well, it is. And I like it. It's with Meridian. So um, Zellet tells Cass to run. And Cass is like, not without you. And they both, you know, it's, it's a really cool uh, panel where Wonder Woman's coming down the stairs. And Cass has her, like, bolo thing. Like, I don't know what exactly it is. Yeah, I guess it is a bolo because it's on this page. And Zellet has the sword, right? But then Meridian pops up and, and does some, you know, Futury stuff with the jumping. <laughs> you know, so it's stuff. Like a, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm not, I still don't understand Meridian's power set. Like I know she can only be in a certain time, right? She has to have a stronger signal or whatever, mm. but so she ends up popping back into place and tells both of them to go and she'll handle Diana. Um, and, and it does work. So, um, uh, Oh, sorry. Yeah. It was actually Barda who said the line about, uh, mm-hmm. Wonder Woman, like, you know, her fighting yeah. without Wonder Woman's mind is very different. Yeah. That's the upside to her being possessed. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really fun page, actually, because you, you get, like, the, the four birds, because Dane is obviously inside the, the veins with mm-hmm. uh, Sin, but the other four are all fighting uh, various Amazons and Wonder yeah. Woman. So it's this great page where it's kind of them on all different parts of yeah. the page. And yeah, and this fights. is where, when I saw people complaining about the art, I'm like, I don't have an issue with any of this. Like, it's chaotic, but in a good way. You know, and and you're getting all the vines surrounding the panels, right? To mm-hmm. kind of represent that Megara is kind of everywhere, uh, and is it still an imminent threat? And I'm just like, no, this is again, this is working. You know, like yeah, it's, like, it's, I it's don't still like good it. storytelling. I don't like it as much as the regular artists, but I mm-hmm. still think this is perfectly solid art. Yeah, uh, definitely. Know, it definitely has that sort of like, like, like you say, the sort of puckered lips look a little mm-hmm. bit too often, maybe on the faces, but yeah. Uh, overall, I'd say it's aesthetically kind of like, pleasing. Af- 
that page that you're talking about where uh, Barta says, you know, turns out there's a possession or there's an upside to the possession. You just look at that page and all, all of the birds are doing something. There's almost like a, like you can see the steps of the dance that's going on, like the choreography here. And that's, that is very good uh, artistic storytelling to me anyways. Yeah. There's, um, there's pacing to it. Uh, despite yeah. the fact that there's not actually uh, panel gaps or anything like that. Right. So, you know, it's real, it, it gets going. Um, and just, um, so the, the stuff here with, with, uh, what is it? Uh, Megara. Uh, yeah, that's just how we're saying it. Cause I had to pull it back up. Megira. Um, so she is a goddess, right? Was she, did we decide that she was the, she's the goddess of vengeance along those lines? I don't remember what we decided, okay. but she is a god. I, I'm sure. Yeah, so so it would make sense that the Amazons kind of have have her not trapped, but kind of put away on Themyscira. Uh and uh, so I do like that. That's another story point uh, that once you start to realize what Megira wants to do, you know, it makes sense why she was there and able to kind of get control. Yeah, there's a lot here where she's basically sort of mumbling to herself, oh, I made a mistake talking to you because you know you think it's a choice, it's not a choice. Mm-hmm. And then when Dana comes in, she's like, I let you speak to your sister before this happens. I'm regretting, mm-hmm. you know, my naysays. And then mm-hmm. the book ends with uh, Dana throwing up a bunch of little balls, which I think are explosives that detonate on her stream because she throws yep. them up in the air. Uh, she calls them banshees. And then she yep. screams, and then you just see all these little explosions going off around, mm-hmm. uh, and that's the end of the issue. Uh, so, I mean, if I have a critique, it's maybe that I don't know if it feels like it does build to an ending. It feels like it just kind of mm-hmm. suddenly, that's it. Oh, that's the end of the yeah. issue. So maybe that's a, a slight critique that I would levy at it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I enjoyed the fight. I enjoyed the banter mm-hmm. between the characters. Um, I think through these action beats, Zealot's grown on me a little bit more. Harley's got some funny lanes. Cass mm-hmm. is always this great presence to have. Um, and obviously Bard is a hoot mm-hmm. <laughs> at the best of times. Yeah. So no, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the build up to Wonder Woman showing up and their fear that they're going to have to deal with mm-hmm. her. Um, yeah. I, I and I, I, I gen, genu, generally enjoyed the art. I almost said genuinely. That's not what I meant to say. Mm-hmm. I generally enjoyed the art. I do think, yeah, sometimes we got the puckered lips on the, the mouths a little yeah. bit much. But... For the most part, I think the coloring is very nice uh, mm-hmm. and pleasing to the eye. Uh, all the stuff inside the veins is all noth- nothing but green, basically. But then when you go to the actual fights, all of the red capes or the red and black yeah. of Harley's outfit or Zealot, they all pop really well. So mm-hmm. the fights look very colorful and very full of yeah. different well, vibrant colors. And I do like it kind of shocks you. So if you're reading this in a trade and you get to this, you go from the Romero art to this art, it is going to feel like a big, like there, there's been a shift. Yeah. Uh, and I think when you're reading the story as a whole, you know, that that's, that's going to be kind of a welcome change of pace, you know, especially that this is not that I, that it uh, necessarily uh, changes the perspective of Megara, but it does give a, a different, a, a different, uh, what's the word? I don't want to say perspective. I just said it wasn't that, but it does. It gives a, a different, vibe compared to what we'd had which was kind of more heisty you know them going through the mascara it was much more action oriented to hear it it almost takes its time even though the action scenes are good there's a lot more stopping and talking and you know 
Megira talking through their plan. So uh, I think it was a welcome change. Like, again, I, I don't know if I'd want this art all the time, but in a one-off story, I think it's fine. I mean, do you think it's just a one-off? Yeah, I think so, because isn't Romero coming back? I mean, I'm sure they are. I'm just I'm just not yeah. sure if it's a one-issue thing or like a two- or three-issue thing. I have mm -hmm. no idea. We'll find out. Um, but I, mean, I think the argument is, though, is if, like, the art change goes along with the world being, or the Themyscira being mm -hmm. surrounded by these vines that technically yeah. maybe the last couple of pages of the previous issue should have actually been when the switch happened. But, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe that's just, you know, nitpicking at that point and, and whatnot. But the fa simple fact is, you know, the artist needed to have a, an issue or two off to, yeah. to keep ahead. And that's just a, a reality of comics. It's just a, a case of how you how you handle it. But, yeah, so it's, uh, according to League of Comic Geeks, uh, Birds of Prey 6 is uh, is back with, with Leonardo Romero. Okay. So, yeah. So again, like a little brief interlude into things. I'm, I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. I'm not okay. convinced the issue feels different enough to feel that the art style change like feels thematically justified uh mm -hmm. but you know it's just it's just a, a necessity of an ongoing comic book these days that yeah. sometimes you have to have a fill-in artist uh and i think you could do much worse than the artist mm -hmm. we have here so uh all right what were you giving birds of prey issue five i'm gonna give this a, a solid eight yeah i think i'm gonna give it an eight as well i think it's in that ballpark uh I just love the vibe of a Kelly Thompson book. There's something about mm -hmm. the characters bouncing off of each other that I always just yeah. feels like comfort food to me. Yeah, Kelly Thompson is very good at those group dynamics because it's the part that, as much as I love her Kate Bishop book, she has a really good voice for Kate, it picked up with West Coast Avengers. When she started introducing all the other characters and the dynamics between them, that's really when I enjoyed the, the Thompson writing. So uh, I look forward to more of it at DC. Yeah. I didn't realize Connor likes Skull Island. Look, does he like it or? Because no, no, nobody loves it like me. So, well, uh, I, I said it was mid on his tweet about uh, it, and he, he yeah. gave me a, a wrong tweet back. I didn't realize he was going uh, to defend it. I thought he'd. Oh well. So look, let's just say this: I've incepted him with hockey, and now I'm obsessed uh, incepting him with Kong Skull Island. So, you know, I'm just. Like, he, he might turn into a decent individual, you know, given enough time. No, if he's like from Skull Island, he's not. He's he's going. Yes, huh? This is this is a this is the cancer getting worse. No. Right? This is it spreading. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> no, I will not. Excuse me. Excuse yes. nothing. Yes. Anyway, uh, Shazam issue seven, Mark Wade writing with Goran Suzuka on the R. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, different artist on this book as well compared mm -hmm. to the usual uh, Mora. Uh, although, once again, I actually think the artist here was a good fit for this book. Yeah. It feels like it's doing a good job of having an old school vibe. It is different from Mora for sure, mm -hmm. uh, but it definitely has that kind of thick inks, uh, nice, and part of this is the colouring as well, of course, but the, the the flatter colours, it just it has that silver agey kind of vibe that I think you want with this book. Uh, so this is the start of a of a new arc. It was built uh -huh. into last with the last issue, but this is yeah. part one of the arc. So uh, this is how Black Adam gets involved. Although the issue starts with a little mini story of Shazam fighting Bizarro Shazam, mm -hmm. um, and he's like, "What the hell? This is a Superman thing. Why am I fighting a Bizarro Shazam?" And he ends up winning uh, in a fairly fun action scene 
by effectively saying, wait a minute, if I have the wisdom of Solomon, then that means you should be an idiot. So then he starts getting really dumb. And it's yeah. almost like as soon as he like starts saying these things out loud, because he tries to get him to say Shazam backwards and that doesn't yeah. work. He's like, okay, that doesn't work. So yeah. uh, how about I start say, pointing out that he should be dumb, that he should be slow, that he shouldn't be able to fly, because he's the opposite of me, right? Uh, and it seems like every time he says something like that, something happens. Uh, at one point, the Shazam uh, Bizarro was holding up a big mm-hmm. wrecking ball, and he's yeah. like, wait, if I am strong, then you shouldn't have the strength of Hercules, you should be weak. So then yeah. the, the wrecking ball just, you know, crushes him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like, okay, given the fact that every time he makes a realization it's affecting this Bizarro, it points to the fact that this isn't like a real being, and it's more like it's something that someone has made or something. Yeah. Uh, and sure enough, it's Felix Faust who's using this Bizarro as a distraction to, to rob a bank. So, yeah, It's almost quaint, yeah. you know? Uh, so. it's, a, it's a funny little story. It's it's very uh, almost standalone, uh, just a mm-hmm. little mini-adventure at the start of the book to get you in the mood. And so, I got so worried that I missed something because I was like, wait, Bizarro, this is not how this ended, right? Because <laughs> we ended with Black Adam and the auditors. And then, yeah, so just to see this is what Billy's been up to. Uh, and that was a lot of fun because that is the one thing, despite, you know, I love Bizarro as a character uh, in small doses, but that the whole opposite Superman thing sometimes takes it to, you know, to a bit of a logical conclusion. So I like that Wade is kind of commenting on that, uh, especially in using yeah. Shazam to do that. Like, well, if, if I'm as swift as Mercury, you should be slow. And it shows him, you know, not being able to do things. So. Uh, uh, that was, a, and I do like the costume too because it's the inverse, right? So it's got the red lightning bolt. It's almost he almost looks like Reverse Flash, yeah, uh, yeah. there too. So it's uh, it's funny because I saw uh, talking Superman uh, this week mm-hmm. talking about how this Bizarro story that's coming up in Action Comics. Uh, he's been a little cynical, but I can't really yeah. fault him because. There's kind of this similar thing with Bizarro where we always seem to get an ending where Bizarro realizes he doesn't have to be as bad as he is and mm-hmm. whatever. But then it's always forgotten about the next time someone else wants yeah. to write a Bizarro story. Uh, so it's easy to be cynical. This felt because it was separated from all that. It's just it was just a little fun joke of a little story. Yeah, there's no weight attached to it, so it's very easy mm-hmm. to just enjoy it, which mm-hmm. is nice. So it cuts to the Black Adam stuff, which is Black Adam was coming up to the the dinosaur spaceship because they're flying over Kandak and he's like, how dare you? Um, he rips a hole in the side of the ship and I don't know if it's the funniest moment in the book because maybe we'll come up against one later <laughs> but I really laughed uh, at the dinosaur yelling holding his papers in his hand. Uh-huh. You broke our ship. Uh, there will there will be an accounting. <laughs> like uh-huh. a reckoning. An accounting. And then there's just lots of talks about how he has to fill out paperwork now. Uh, which I... I it's... So I'm not that familiar with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but this feels cut from that cloth, you know, like yeah, the space it, bureaucracy. It's not my area know? of expertise, but yeah. you know, I didn't notice it. it is here in these pages. I didn't notice until later, though, where it was more overtly Star Trekky. But mm-hmm. uh, other than the captain, they're all wearing red shirts yep. like Star Trek characters, mm-hmm. and uh, that really cracked me up later on when I noticed it. There's a page yep. later on when there are like four of them are standing in a line with their phasers, uh-huh. and I was like, oh wait. They look Star Trek characters, but they're yep. dinosaurs. They're, they're Star Trek dinosaurs, which, come on. What other book can you get that in? I feel like that's the... For all the silliness that you get in comics, I feel like that feels right at home in Shazam. Because the fact that they're they're also talking to Taki Tani, who is a tiger wearing a green suit, you know? 
we we can have the the Star Trek dinosaurs, and we're just gonna laugh. <laughs> um, actually, this made me laugh not because of the book really that much. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it's a funny line on its own, but it's more just because I heard this in Vince McMahon's voice. But no. the dinosaur yells at him, uh, who do you think's in charge here, pal? And for some reason now, whenever I hear the word pal, I can't help but hear it said in Vince McMahon's voice. Pal. <laughs> you need the deep gravelly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so they send off a rocket to Kandak, right? Which sounds, which sounds dark at first mm-hmm. when you think they're about to bomb somewhere. And yep. Black Adam goes flying after it to try and stop it. But it, it blows up in the air and then it turns out that they're actually just raining down paperwork on the city. So there's just paper falling. So it was harmless. It was never going to hurt anything. Yeah. Um, no. But Black Adam basically vows that he's going to kill all the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. The dinosaurs, meanwhile, have realized where Billy Batson actually lives. So they're they're heading off to the other side of the yep. planet. So uh, good fun stuff. Uh, there's some good uh, character uh, building in the middle here where Billy has been asked to meet the rest of the family somewhere. He doesn't know where. And it turns out the foster parents have bought a new house. Or they're going to buy a new house. They're, they're showing the kids yep. this new big house where they're all going to get their own room. Everyone's super delighted about it. Um, and, you know, the, the dad explains, hey, you know, between selling the old place and some money we got from a, a dying aunt, we, we can just about make the, the payments mm-hmm. on this. It'll be It'll be good for all of us. And that's when Tawny calls and says, hey, there's a bunch of dinosaurs. <laughs> Here. Yeah, they look very threatening. They, uh, they, I would character. I would definitely characterize them as impatient. <laughs> yeah, such a such a good line. Yeah, a lot of the dinosaur dialogue was cracking me up because they they have them mm-hmm. all. Like, they're all holding up their faces at Tawny here, and mm-hmm. Tawny's trying to be nice. He's like, "Hey, how about I make you some snacks? You look famished." Mm-hmm. And the dinosaurs like poisonous snacks. It's a trap. Liquefy yeah. the fur, furry one. <laughs> Yeah. That's just funny. It's just funny. I I, I, I I kept laughing at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're demanding Shazam do his paperwork. Uh, and then Black Adam shows up. Great full-page spread of Black Adam up above. Uh, they kind of tease uh, it a little bit before because he mentions, oh, there's everyone that dresses like you, you know, belligerent. And he's mm-hmm. like, what do you mean dresses like me? And this even leads to another little oh. joke uh, uh-huh. when Black Adam starts fighting. Uh, well, he goes to punch the dinosaur and Shazam steps in. Mm-hmm. But he basically says, oh, great, this is the second time today I've fought someone who looks like me. So mm-hmm. that, that that's the only reference to the Bizarro stuff <laughs> for the rest yeah. of the story, is that one little tidbit. Uh, but despite them being annoying, Shazam has to defend the dinosaurs, so he keeps getting in the way of Black Adam trying to do his thing. So Adam's pissed, they start fighting, uh, and they're just wrecking around the place, and the end of the issue is that Billy realizes that him and Black Adam have just been fighting through the house that the family are trying to sell to afford the new place. And the final page is just the wreckage that's been left because him and Adam have just went to turn mm-hmm. on it. So, oops-a-daisy. Billy might yeah. have just ruined their chances of the new house. Well, and I like that what goads Billy into this fight, right? Because despite the wisdom of Solomon... Black Adam starts telling him that the family makes him weak, you know, and, Mm. you know, pulling in the Bizarro thread is in that way, you know, Black Adam kind of is Bizarro, the captain, in that, you know, when you know Black Adam's history of killing us. He's the real opposite of of Shazam. He he killed his son to usurp the powers, you know, he and he's very tied to to tragedy, like in the New 52 you know, Billy is surrounded by family members. Even 
in the old continuity, right? Him splitting the power for Freddy and and Mary. I'm glad you know? I'm glad you brought up uh, the the wisdom again, actually, because mm-hmm. one of the things that, that that story at the start of this book did the uh, mm-hmm. the Pizarro story is that it really set up that he is trying to use that extra wisdom because the mm-hmm. whole ending of the last arc is that he got supercharged with the wisdom right. and he's like, okay, I can figure this out. And then the rest of the fight with Bizarro Shazam is him like problem solving. He's like, okay, I'll try this. Mm-hmm. Maybe this will work. He's logically just going down a line of thought until he mm-hmm. figures things out and he does figure things out. So it does kind of mm-hmm. like back up that he has just been made smarter for lack of a better term. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, not not those lack of one. I just didn't want to say wisdom again. <laughs> for yeah, for... no, because wisdom and intelligence are two different things, right? And and it's not necessarily intelligence that he's got more. But yeah, it's the ability to know, like he can slow down and think about this. He doesn't have to rush in to fighting Bizarro Shazam for sure. Um, so and 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 he does the opposite here, where he rushes in and fights Black Adam because right? he lets his emotions get the better exactly. of him. He, he, you know, Adam mm-hmm. insults the family, and he can't right. be having that. So. Uh, but in turn ends up wrecking the house. So it says next time homeless because Mm -hmm. he's destroyed this house and now they can't afford the new house. So we'll see how that goes. I'm assuming they'll, like, maybe the the dinosaur accountants will somehow find the money somewhere down the couch. (laughs) Like, look, you have these talking dinosaurs from space. He did help them with their ship. So I'm sure once Billy does do the the paperwork, because that's all they want, you know, I'm sure they'll end up lending a helping hand in all of this. So Yeah, I just... The blatant, they are just like Star Trek mm-hmm. <laughs> outfits on the dinosaurs really cracked me up. Yep. Some of their lines were, were you know, th- this has been a genuinely funny book since day one. But I'm mm-hmm. loving that he's doing some stuff, more stuff with the family. And uh, all of this has been has been a good time. Uh, For yeah. sure. This was a delightful issue again. Uh, th- this was the one that I was kind of looking forward to reading the most, I think, um, this week. Uh, I'd, probably mm-hmm. say, I'd probably say I like Birds of Prey. Well, it depends on the issue, I guess. But I, I'd probably say that I, I would say I, I like that more overall. I think, but for whatever reason, this week, maybe it's because a different artist on Birds of Prey. I was like, you know what? No, but Shazam's still there. He like make me feel warm and fuzzy. Yeah, uh, it, it did. Uh, plus, it's fun to have a uh, Black Adam in, in the mix now. Now we get to see what Wade does with Black Adam. I, I kind of love that it's not even like a proper big like. Oh, there's a big plot building to a showdown between Black Adam and Shazam. No, no, no. Black Adam's pissed at the accountant dinosaurs, dropped a bunch of paperwork mm-hmm. on Kandak, and now Shazam's just trying to protect them. It's a really funny, silly way to get them to have to fight. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the first time they've really been face-to-face in a, in a while, as far as I can remember. You it's know, because so... the Black Adam movie was coming out, mm-hmm. so we had to do the solo Black Adam book, because the, yeah. the hierarchy of power at DC... Was changing, yep. Matt. So we had to accommodate the Rock's ego uh, across yep. the board. <laughs> and how did that end up? He's it, he's been, you know, Satana. So where did that lead you? Back to me, you know. So he, you know, no more Black Adam. He's back. He might be wrestling at Mania. So we'll we'll see. Uh, <laughs> he he's Black Adam no more. As far as at least as far as I know, Black Adam yeah. didn't work out, pal. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, I just imagine, you know, apparently him and Triple H never really got along. So oh. the fact that Triple H is running things over there, him him showing back up and Triple H running the show is kind of delightfully funny to me. Uh, uh, H is just pissed that he's a bigger star than he ever will be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he's also uh, the guy that controls the pen now. So, he yeah, is. Hey, Dwayne, you know, do, do, do you want to win? Or, you know? 
Yeah, but so. you know, Rock's also got a movie as much as he's got a lot of mediocre mm-hmm. movies because he does. Like he's, he's... Yeah. hey, he has an A twenty four movie. I don't know if you know this, Pete, but that's probably <sighs> going to change the game. God, sometimes I don't like wrestling fans. <laughs> I saw I saw that tweet go out from a wrestling account, and I was like, "Yeah, okay, not everything A twenty four does is gold, guys." Like you know, I mean, they got a better track record than most studios. Uh... Yeah, but just because it carries the A twenty four tag doesn't mean it's going to be universally uh, accessible, right? So, you know, I don't even know what the project is that he's working on, but I just saw the announcement, so. Yeah, I don't care if it's accessible. Nothing would delight me yeah. more if Rock was in a weird art house movie that was good on its own terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'd be more interesting all the, the ultra commercial crap that he tends to make. Mm-hmm. He's in an action movie called Faster or Skyscraper. What a boring! He's he's got Bro. the movie career of a fake actor in a movie. Uh huh. See, and at least with Jason Statham, those movies like you know exactly what they are. Someone argued like they should just call them Statham whatever. So like this new one, The Beekeeper. Just call it Statham 19, because you don't really care what the story is. You're just going to go watch Jason Statham do things. Uh, the Rock's not quite that, because The Rock thinks that his movies are so important. And, like, I'm the dumb guy that fell for going to see Rampage and Skyscraper in the same summer. All right? <laughs> so, Skyscraper? You know. Like, it couldn't even be a good diehard <sighs> knockoff. It was so dull. No. Yeah, the, the most tension that came from his, was his prosthetic leg going to hold his big 280-pound <laughs> frame. <laughs> You know, that's not where the tension should be in that movie. Yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah. I would just shut And I like The Rock. I, I, Me I, too. But I, I, uh, Dwayne Johnson, I think, is still a movie star. I just feel like his ego has gotten out of control and that uh, it's not the same as the movies that, you know, that were. Uh, you're, he's just pumping them out. And who cares at this point? I mean, he's kind of been pumping out most of it. I don't think he ever had a good period as a movie star, to be honest, but. He just he feels more insufferable these days for whatever reason. Yes. Uh anyway, what are you what are you rate Shazam? Uh eight point five. Yeah, uh, I think that's I think that's about right. Uh I, I think the, the, the art here is is different from Mora, of course, but I do think that it's a very good fit for Shazam and fits the spirit of the book. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels bold, it feels, you know, expressive. Uh, and cartoony in the the right way, the, in the best way possible. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I I agree with the eight point five. Poison Ivy issue eighteen. G Willow Wilson writing with Luna Vecchio or Vecchio on the mm-hmm. on the art. Uh, what are you? I was yeah, going to ask you. So... I was going to ask you what you're rating. As if we're just skipping yeah. the, the, the the review. <laughs> oh, on you wow. go, Matt. On you go. Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, continuing from. The last uh, issue that left us with uh, Croc, Ivy, and Solomon Grundy fighting the the mushroom zombies that are invading Gotham. Uh, And uh, her and Croc end up fighting them off. Grundy gets some, you know, uh, he helps out. But after they beat them, Grundy goes to go off saying, you know, he died on a Sunday. And Ivy has to, you know, appeal to him that, hey, look, this is your swamp, right? If they keep coming, they're going to destroy the swamp as well. And you in that. Um, And she says, you know, being on both sides of this thing, being kind of an anti-hero, but also a villain, she understands on how to talk to them and that you either have to uh, appeal to their, you know, their selfishness or or to, you know, um, 
uh, what does she say? I have to pull this up now. Because uh, it was a really good line from G. Willow Wilson and why this book works as well as it does. Because the fact that she's talking about Grundy in this way, that he's this mindless, you know, kind of this mindless, not force of nature, but he can be pointed into a direction. Um, is that, oh, that's what she says, is that you have to appeal to the, the selfishness or their highly devel developed survival instincts. And so that's end up what she uh, ends up doing by convincing him, like, they're coming to your swamp um, and that, you know, it, it it's going to do you better to help us than than to just go back and, and pop up the next time. And also I think it's just she feels like if the zombies get into Grundy, it could become a problem. So her and Croc go back to the, the little makeshift lab in the swamp shack, uh, and Grundy is almost standing guard. Um and they start making more of the antidote because uh, they're using uh, Croc's blood because he's immune to all of this. Um, and Pam starts to have a breakdown because she realizes that this the scale that they need, they're going to need help. Uh, and she doesn't want to ask for help from the one person that can. And of course, that's Batman. So she goes into Robinson Park and just kind of waits around. Um, he drops down. And what's what's nice here is like this just it doesn't feel like the Batman that we're used to reading, right? Where we're getting Bruce and Batman. This is just the sheer Batman. It's the persona that he puts on. And so when he pops down, he takes up like the full panel. He's like larger than life. And they give him black speech bubbles uh, that make him stand out from everybody else because Pam's are green. Um Grundy's are like like grayish and Crocs are regular. So it definitely gives everybody a bit more character. Um, and Batman tells her, if you're here, I'm assuming you want something. She cues him into everything that's been going on. Um, and he's like, look, this is the last thing I need right now. However, um, you know, it's always the same with you is – you try to solve a problem by creating a bigger problem. Um, no matter how often you fail, you just keep doing the same things. And that's, that's bad science. And Pam takes that, you know, as a personal slight and goes to leave. But he's like, look, you came all the way here. Give me that antidote. I'll do what I can. So uh, he ends up leaving. And as she's standing there, her, her stomach starts to, to rumble again. Like she's having the cramps. And stuff, and I'm like, oh man, are they, are they doing like a pregnancy thing? Like, is the green in the the virus and stuff like gonna give birth to something new? Uh, because on the cover, there's a very Cronenbergian uh, uh, body horror of this this tree like hand coming to her stomach, and she looks pregnant, right? And it says morning sickness, but spelled like uh, like you're mourning a dead person instead of you know the beginning of the day. Um, so she starts sweating. She's like, is this like a tumor? I don't know what it is. So she, you know, she ends up going back to the, to the shack, working on more uh, of the antidote with Croc. Uh, Janet from HR comes through, um, brings donuts for, for them, which Croc is now, he didn't want to let her in, but he's like, well, if you're bringing donuts. So he, he grabs one, eats it, holds out his hand again. She goes, I already gave you one. He goes, it's for Grundy. She goes, I don't, I don't have any more. And uh, so there was a nice little comedy beat in there. 
and just to, to know that Killer Croc likes donuts is, you know, Humana humanizes him a little bit. A lot of um, uh, office workers in DC these days. You talk about HR, we got accountants and Shazam. Yeah. There's a lot, a lot of that going on right yeah. now. Yeah, a, a lot of this. So um, she asked Janet for help, but Janet's like, look, I'm not, I'm good at like typing. I'm not good at the science. Like, that's not why I was hired originally. Um, and uh, she's like, Look, just I just need you here for your support. Like just just stand here and be here for me. And then she collapses. Uh the pain's coming in waves. Um Croc runs in from the other room. He grabs her. Uh Ivy's eyes are rolling in the back and it sounds like a, a gigantic crack like she's being split into two. Um which makes the entire swamp go quiet. Right? So so Grundy sitting at the on the, you know, the ladder that goes up from the swamp to the to the deck, um, all these uh, animals fly out, um, and Ivy is just writhing in pain. Her stomach splits open, and it goes to her narration where she says, "You know, nothing ever returns in the same form. It adapts, it evolves." Uh, and then you hear, you know, you see Janet crying. Croc looks like shocked. There's blood everywhere. And Grundy pops in with Born on a Monday. And there's this this husk of a figure coming out of Pam's stomach um, with, like, antlers. And it's Jason Woodrow, the Floronic Man. And uh, her um, Pam's, Pam's dialogue boxes go from green to, like, this reddish. Like, it's almost like bleeding out from green to red. You know, it says the green sends it back to the world stronger than it was before because death is never the end. And it's Woodrow saying, like, you thought you could devour me, but, you know, I'm the Floronic uh, man. I'm life itself. And now I'm here to devour the world. And, yeah, was not expecting a whole dark birth of Woodrow uh, to, to come out of this. And now I look at that cover and that, that wooden hand that, that's over is definitely, you know, meant to be him. So... They were, you know, tipping their hand, uh, for lack of a better term, here at the beginning. And uh, it's just another solid issue from Wilson. Uh, the vacuo art in this issue is not as strong as the last. There's a lot of um, a lot of weird proportions from Pam in the in the scenes where it's just her talking um, or like her facial proportions are just a little bit off. Uh, but it's still it's still a solid the art's still solid. It's just not as crisp as it was. Um, but yeah, still, still a great uh, story that that's going. Looking forward to seeing how much longer it's going to go. Cause I, I feel like we're in the end game. Now we we've gotten rid of Floronic man. We've gotten rid of the, the, the mushrooms to cycle back around. And it just feels like that's the type of story that Wilson's telling that, you know, things come in waves, uh, especially when it comes to, to Ivy. Uh, but yeah, so, uh, gonna rate this issue and I'll give it a 7.5. All right. Neil before Zod, issue one, John, or sorry, Joe Casey writing with Dan McDade mm-hmm. on the R. Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm so glad that you, it took me, <laughs> it took me two, two to try to read this because I fell asleep reading it and it wasn't for lack of care. It was, it was so wordy. And every character sounds the same. Yeah, um, it's definitely word day. Some of those bubbles are packed with with uh, yeah. with words. But I think for, for me, the, the big thing is just that 
it it takes a really specific. It's a, it's a, it's a really acquired skill to be able mm-hmm. to write a character who's not a hero as the main character of a of mm-hmm. a story, right? Um, obviously, there's great examples across different mediums of of anti heroes or or whatever. But mm-hmm. fundamentally, as I'm I'm reading this, and um, we've got Zod just talking about wanting to you know build new Kandor's uh, mm-hmm. as a as new Krypton effectively and all his plans. But what it ends up becoming is just him bickering with his son for mm-hmm. half the issue and then him th- throwing his son off the planet. That's that's the basic ish- the plot of this. Yeah. Uh, there's some murmurs about the United Planets and them staying away or, or whatever. But for the most part, it's, it's Zod family drama and I could not be less interested in Zod <sighs> family drama. So I, I like the the ideas that this is playing with. Did you go back and read the action backup? No. Yeah, so the action backup sets the stage for this in that Zod's... There's something going on with Zod, and Ursa's picking up on it, um, and his son's picking up on it too, in that, that, yes, Zod's trying to build new Kandor, but he's also using the Phantom Zone to hide technology from the United Planets. And it's almost like he's amassing a fleet uh, to go and, and to spread out. So that's what that his son finds uh, in that in the last part of that issue. And that's what sends his son kind of to to for them to bicker. Um, it would have been nice for them to, to kind of set that up here because it just if you're just reading this, it just feels like them bickering. And I kind of don't like the kid. The kid's really, like, I, I don't know if that's the point, but he's like, it's like Damien with none of the charm, you know? Uh, none of that, you know, the, the tut that we used to get from Damien. Yeah, the, the kid's kind of just annoying to, to read. Mm-hmm. I, so the big thing, though, is that the kid's actually mad at Zod mm-hmm. uh, because he's not using his giant weapon of mass destruction on anyone. Yep. Uh, and Zod's like, no, it's a deterrent. The whole, the, the most mm-hmm. effective thing here is mutually assured destruction. Like that's just how Zod believes uh-huh. you. You keep peace, not by mm-hmm. working together and trusting other planets, but by mm-hmm. making sure that they're scared to ever attack you. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get a little bit of that. Uh, honestly, the big, the most interesting thing is right at the start, actually, which is that yeah. Zod seemingly is talking to Jarrell, but then after mm-hmm. a couple of pages, uh, Eradicator, who's the computer here, uh, is basically like you know who are you talking to there's no one else here no one's shown up so they're doing this thing where zod is like talking to jor-el like dexter talks to his dad yeah and <laughs> that tv show he's just seeing like a, an imaginary version mm-hmm. of his his old rival which was a vaguely interesting idea i was like, oh that's interesting mm-hmm. and then the rest of the issue i could not have been more bored yeah, and th- this was the thing that made me not read the uh, the Beast World tour book because I read this, mm-hmm. I got to the mm-hmm. end of it, and the thought of reading another book that I didn't want to read just filled me with such dread yeah. that I just I was like, okay, you know what, I'm 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 done. Uh, yeah, I just uh, for me it was like because again I like the ideas at play here, you know, with with them playing with the we're gonna develop a new Kryptonian culture because the last one was so it failed so hard it's no longer around so we're going to do it based off of the zod family and part of that you know is like the zods would send the firstborn son out to for these trials and if they're strong enough they'll come back and that's i feel that that's also them setting up that you know sinister sons super sons yeah you know, for sure they're setting up. you know 
also, also Arsa's pregnant. We should mention that. Yeah, yeah. That's why I was going to get to that one too. Is it's also setting up the the idea of of a bigger family, and you know, um, but like, uh, just the whole idea of them trying to institute this new Kryptonian culture. I like that idea and how it fits in with the United Planets because you know. They they're not working with Superman, but maybe they'll work with Zod because he's maybe more in line with whatever's going on with the United Planets. Um, but I just wish all of the characters sound the same. Like, like to me, there I, I got confused at one point because uh, there were some dialogue bubbles that were going. I got them, I got them confused, but it's because neither they sounded so the same. It's when, it was, it's when Zod's talking to his son. It sounds like the same person's talking yeah. to each other. And I'm just like, wait, what is this conversation going on? Like, and it does it again with uh, with Zod and Ursa, where they're talking about, you know, the the whole Zod family, you know, dynasty and this stuff. And I'm just like, okay, uh, this is writing for the sake of writing, and I'm not following here clearly. So it was kind of a, a yeah, shorter read. It's almost like they're trying to keep the villain mystique of Zod alive. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to make him the main character, you have to actually yep. let us get an insight into him and mm-hmm. see him feeling like a moment of weakness or a moment of yeah. something, you know. Well, and that's why I liked him talking to Jarrell because it's Jarrell prickling at him, you know, and then kind of Jarrell. Yeah, that, that, that's what that was accomplishing. Yeah, but then yeah. it goes away. I, I yeah. actually, you know, I'm skimming through it now. I'd completely forgotten there's a whole second half where yeah. uh, an alien force tries to invade the planet yeah. and Zod just kills well, them all. <laughs> yeah, so that, that's the other part too is that he's. So this is jumping off from where, where Zod takes over that planet, which I think that was in Hal and Pals uh, during early Rebirth. Right. So it's the planet Jakul. Uh, that's another thing in the backup is that he's essentially using eugenics to breed, to create a bigger warrior. Right. And and that's what he, the him and his son are arguing about um, is that his son thinks that they should use him to conquer. He thinks that no, which I still think that's what they're going to do because that is a conqueror. Right. But anyways, um, they're, they're training them to be more fierce and it's almost like they're creating a new doomsday. Right. Where they're just taking the most nasty, vicious ones and creating more nasty, vicious inhabitants yeah, of I this mean, planet. If the book's doing anything, it's doing because this is what Ursa talks is all about. Mm-hmm. She's basically like, hey, you're, you're not the man I know. Like this yeah. thirst or even Jor-El, the, the fake Jor-El says it at the start. Mm-hmm. Like you, you, it's, you, your basic mode is to conquer. And if you don't have a mm-hmm. war to fight, then you're, you're kind of lost. Yeah. So this is Zod trying to build a new world. And maybe the whole idea of the story is that he's eventually going to give in and sort of just mm-hmm. become the Zod he always is because he doesn't know how right. to be anything else. But mm-hmm. I did not enjoy reading that. It was not that fun. Yeah. The only thing that I thought it was maybe doing the second half is that when the aliens show up, they say, oh, this world's like weak and like right for the mm-hmm. picking. I thought they were going to reveal that Zod's son had like told them that and that yeah. he had sent them there because it's like a month later, there's like a time jump yeah. in the middle of the book. But uh, it never comes up. So if if that is the case, yeah. then I don't know. And uh, and these aliens are the cunts who they they're they've been in DC. Kind of you need the big brutish, you know. Well, uh, just to, for the auto recognition on YouTube, maybe saying coons it'd be better. Oh, sure. I I don't know if that is better. Well, I'm just saying when yeah. you said. Cund. If you hear, mishear that last consonant, it may sound yeah. a bit off. <laughs> yeah, uh, but also the way that you say it makes it sound like a racial slur on top what? of it. So no, and that yeah. doesn't. No, like, 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 so yeah. So, anyways, these these 
are the brutish aliens that you know people use in dc when you need kind of like a marauding band you know uh, of them and so to have zod take them out so easily you know it did kind of show he still he still got it um but at this point what is it uh and yeah i just i wish i liked this book more because i was looking forward to it um because I, I do like zod i like the idea of zod and i like the ideas that are being played with i just don't like the execution of this yeah uh did nothing for me on top of everything else it felt like there was multiple points where they could have had like a dramatic final page and mm-hmm. instead it kept going and then the actual final page just felt like a sudden stop yeah. so it's not even doesn't even feel like it's got a good structure to it either as an mm-hmm. issue uh the art by mcdade i think is kind of just middle of the it's road fine. yeah I, I don't really feel particularly strongly about it uh, I think some faces here or there feel a bit flat in a way that is unappealing. Uh, generally, though, it is fine, I would say, but nothing special. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where I, I stand on that. Uh, yeah, just kind of a, a weak chore of a read, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, no interest in checking out issue two. I'm good. Yeah. I'll be skipping yep. that. Thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. What are you, what are you rating, Neil, before Zod issue one? I'm going to use a 5.5. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go four point five. Oof. Yeah, did not like it. Not for me. That's okay. All right. Uh, Blue Beetle issue five. Josh mm-hmm. Trujillo and Adrian Gutierrez on the arc. Take it away, Matt. Yeah. So the last issue ended with Fadeaway, who's the the thief character. Learn their name because they they're a pretty prominent character in this one. And this new redheaded character named Gimmicks, uh, and you find out that uh, Gimmicks is Sylvester Pemberton's sister. So this ties back to the you know the original like JSA time. Okay. So I think, yeah, and that she this is the reboot version of that she would have a bag of tricks. So she had this bag, and she could pull, pull things out when they needed them. It was kind of technological magic, kind of. Um, and so, um, she, she goes, uh, he goes, um, Paco goes, wait, so you're like a zombie and, uh, the friends or Natita's like, don't be ridiculous. He's like, oh, so she's a ghost. And you just come to find out that she, um, the monsters that killed her were something part, uh, were part of something dark. Their cosmic horrors must have spilled into the bag. And so the bag essentially brought her back to life. So there's like this weird kind of cosmic horror bent to her. Um, so now they're no longer technological. They're sheer just magic. Um, and so maybe she is too. So there's a bit of sinister vibes with her, but she comes as an ally because uh, she wants to stop the blood scare. That's originally while they're here. Um, and uh, so uh, Starfire shows up to tell them that, you know, Jane, or Jaime needs help. Um, and that he's gone to Cord's sister to uh, for the help, and that maybe maybe that's not a good idea because you know she's not the most um, since since her brother was put in the hospital, she's not thinking the best, um, and so she uh, it goes over to her and Jaime, and they're looking through all of these devices that she has which uh, she has a gamma gong, which she says, no, that's too loud. A gravity rod, which looks like something that Starman had, right? Like the cosmic rod, but it's, it's 
bigger and, and almost looks kind of like a, more like Hawkman's mace. Like there's more heavy weight to it. And then she also has a blue lantern ring, which is very curious, right? Um, and she also has an Absorbicon, which uh, makes anyone who touch it think that they're a reincarnation of an Egyptian pharaoh, to which Jaime's like, well, no, we're, we're already dealing with that, but we need to, you know, we need to figure out how to how to put this guy out. Um, and so they talk to the, to the scarab, and the scarab, Kajida, gives them a basically a uh, a flashback that's done in old uh comic book style so the the Gutierrez's art switches from at least I think it's still Gutierrez let me double check if there's another artist uh, no it's all Gutierrez um it, it goes to how Dan Garrett the blue beetle the first blue beetle had beat the the uh who's the guy in the blood scarab how he originally beat him by tapping into the power of, uh, of Kajida. And through this, you know, he had ended up um, putting the mummy back behind the tomb and sealing it uh, with the energy from Kajida. And when he had done that, uh, the, the mummy melted away and just left the blood scarab. Um, so it does seem like this is another one of the reach scarabs. It's just it got to Earth longer ago, and it almost seems like this pharaoh had corrupted the the scarab as much as the scarab had corrupted the pharaoh. Um, and knowing this now, Jaime has an idea. So he joins back up with, with Starfire uh, before they can leave. Uh, and the they uh, hear that there's like a commotion going on in Palmyra City, and Blood Scarab has showed up at a soccer game and has started possessing people at the game. And he ends up turning them into like these, uh, like they're definitely warriors, but they're not, they're very scarab like. So they have like pointed horns and stuff, um, but they're, they're not like a suit. It's very weird. Um, so he, he basically reanimates all of them. Jaime and company um, show up and they end up having a plan where, Starfire is is essentially going to uh, take lead in uh, what's her name? Uli, the lady from the from uh, the horizon are, are going to use her technology to get into all the cameras and essentially set a trap and trap the blood scarab um, using fade away and gimmick as well. Uh, and so they they show up and um, they didn't the, the big mistake that they made was not telling Victoria because she still shows up um, and ends up hitting uh, the blood scarab. So they end up waking him with their plan, but she hits him with this, this ray from a satellite that she's going to use. Um, and it does not do anything, right? It, it ends up leaving this big hole in the, the soccer stadium, but blood scarabs, there, basically untouched. Uh, to which uh, Jaime, Dynasties, and Natita uh, are the last ones kind of standing against the Blood Scarab. Uh, and Jaime realizes that, much like Dan Garrett, he has to be the one to put the Blood Scarab down. He can't have help from anybody. Um, and he's like, well, this is this is it. It can only be me. It's my destiny. right?" So for all of the, the help of, of relying on everybody else, Jaime's still at the place where he feels like he has to do it himself. 
And I feel like that's going to be part of the Blood Scarabs. That's part of their plan, right? Is to isolate and take him out like he did to to the other ones and solar power. So uh, the the dynamics here are pretty are still pretty spot on. Um, just Jaime is kind of in this emo phase still. That's not that it's annoying to read because I think that's the point is he's not acting like himself. Um, but yeah, just the the fact that it's rotating around all of the the different like supporting cast he's done uh joshua he has done a really good job at fleshing out jaime's cast using you know the two new beatles uh, of course starfire i'm always going to be a fan of but uh, establishing cord victoria cord herself as kind of this she's not necessarily a bad guy but she's definitely out on her own she you know she's she's not going to make jaime's life easier right but she's definitely someone that can help um I, I'm I'm enjoying all of that, and then of course the art when it switched from you know what we've been used to of that Blue Beetle style from Gutierrez to the you know the old pulpy you know thirty style. I was like, okay, that's a fun little trick. That was a nice break, but uh, but yeah, it's still a fun book. Uh, Fade away and gimmick. I'm sure there's there's something more going on. It feels like I hope this gets more issues because I feel like that's just the start of their story because uh, it also ties into uh, she mentions the last time uh, she saw a beetle was with the seven soldiers. So it's also playing into that uh, whole era, uh, which I'm a fan of. So, so yeah, uh, blue beetle still a fun read. Uh, I'm going to give this an eight out of 10. All right, cool. Well, I just have a Patreon book then to wrap mm-hmm. up the show with, uh, and that is American vampire second cycle issue three. So last issue ended with the little girl vampire turning into a huge monster and Calvin tried to tell Peril that the Grey Trader is in fact the, the origin of all the monsters. He is the devil himself. So this issue kind of breaks down uh, into two main parts. First of which is Peril and the other kids, the other runaways, try to survive this monster that the girls turned into. Pearl tries to fight her. This thing is horrific. It's got like an extra mouth on its chest that opens up with more teeth, bites Pearl's arms. Uh, Albuquerque, who's on the art here, of course, is, is just going nuts mm-hmm. with, with uh, how horrific this thing is. Uh, Pearl gets thrown through a wall at one point. It really feels like an unstoppable killing machine. And like one of the other, like the, one of the older vampire kids is kind of like helping Pearl walk and run by putting her arm over his shoulder and it really feels like they're desperately trying to, to get away. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Calvin's actually saved by the uh, the vampires that worship the Grey Trader because the singer who wears the suit, the member of the vassals that mm-hmm. he gets information from, shows up and shoots them with uh, specific bullets. Uh, this is a quick little aside because it's very quickly back to the action uh, with Pearl trying to help the kids. They're running in the fields, trying to get away from it. It really feels like a, a giant monster movie. Uh, and it feels that they're screwed. Uh, the art's really selling the shock on their faces. And this thing really sticks out because it's it's red, right? So all of the backgrounds are these muted kind of blues and purples or whatever. But they're very, very lightly colored. And then the monster itself is this striking red of various shades. Uh, really horrific. Uh the saving grace of it all, though, is Skinner's Suite. You see a blade come through the back of the monster just as it's about to get peril, and a full-page spread of Skinner swinging or pulling out the scythe that he's stabbed it with, 
and just this big, like, you know, split down its chest. Uh, it is now seemingly dead. Um, which is kind of sad because it was this little girl who was innocent. And mm-hmm. she's kind of in control again. She's still the monster, but she's trying to tell Pearl something as she's dying about um, how the Grey Trader's coming for her. And the, the mouth on her chest opens up and this grey tongue comes out and basically smothers the face. So it's, it's almost like a self-defense mechanism mm-hmm. where anyone the Grey Trader's turned into a monster will not commit suicide per se, but the monster part of her that's still connected to mm-hmm. him comes out and ki- kills her before she can say too much. Uh, it's super nasty and it's very sad because this is an innocent person who turned into a monster. So really good stuff. Uh, and then, yeah, this back half is Pearl talking to Skinner and Skinner telling the story because we got a glimpse of this back at the end of the first issue of this series which was Skinner next got into this bus and this bus of like vampire refugees being taken up into the sky by the Grey Trader Skinner tells the rest of that story and the art here is gorgeous it's this two page layout where it kind of shows a, a representation of what he's talking about but he describes the school bus being lowered into the ground for like miles and miles and then he talks about how it's just nothing but teeth and monsters and stuff that he can't describe because it's hard to comprehend and then he finally calls it what he thinks it was he calls it hell he thinks he actually went to hell and next thing he knows he's waking up out of the dark um in the desert and that's when he sort of started making his way to to peril but why did he come back out? Did the Grey Trader want him to get escape? Did he somehow fight his way out? He's not really sure. Uh, and it does really beg a lot of questions as to, to why he was able to get out at all. But it just it continues this idea, if, if he is Satan himself, if this Grey Trader is effectively the devil, uh, and there's this physical place deep underground that is hell. Because the glimpse we get of it here is that it looks almost circular, and that the opening is nothing but teeth, and there's just random teeth in the walls. And then there's just these shadowy silhouettes of whatever the monsters that are in hell are. Um, but it sounds very kind of Lovecraftian and that we can't really comprehend the, the, the horrors that that's being described. And the art does a good job of just giving you a kind of a taste of it, but not anymore because it can't. Uh, Skinner promises that he'll still be there to talk in the morning. Uh, but of course he lies. When Pearl gets up, he's, he's left. There's tire treads. He's gone. So... That's that. Uh, the final part of the book is that a silhouette appears in the fields behind Pearl and starts talking to her as if it's Henry. And she gets really upset and the hand's like reaching out from the field saying, come Pearl, you can be with me and all of her friends again. And Pearl pulls back at the last second and is like, no, no, you're the great trader. You're not really Henry. Uh, but it's a really good, well done bit. Is this, you know, there's a, there's a sort of trope in horror where you've got a voice coming from the the foliage or from the field, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stephen King, I think, likes to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she pulls back away, and the Grey Trader says, "Well, if you don't want to join the gathering, we'll bring the party to you." And the final page of the issue is this. It looks kind of like a tornado hitting her house, uh, so it seems like his supernatural powers are coming. Uh, to, to get her. I think the big thing in this issue, all in the glimpse of hell, and of course the fact that the Grey Trader tries to manipulate people with like people they love and care about, is the idea that for some reason it's coming to her. That was something that Skinner mentioned when he was talking to her about it, is that somehow he just knew that the Grey Trader was aware of her, 
and that he was interested in coming to see her uh, for whatever reason. Maybe it's because she's helping vampires. Maybe it's because she's one of the most powerful vampires. I actually don't know yet, but it is super intriguing. Uh, he wants her. He wants to probably consume her the same way that he consumed that guy in the last issue. We saw him open up and like, eat the neighbor <laughs> last time. Uh, and the neighbor just getting willingly, which is effectively what he was trying to do here at the, the end. Because he did that. He, he, he pretended to be the guy's dead son in the last issue. Mm-hmm. Here, he tries to be Henry to lure Pearl in, but Pearl's not falling for it. So, uh, yeah, it's a really solid issue. It, ha- it gives you a lot of big action stuff in the first half. That's super exciting. Uh, it does some really, you know, creepy lore building with the Grey Trader again in the second half with Skinner Sweet. And then this ending is kind of a bombastic cliffhanger to go out on. So it kind of has everything you want in an issue, honestly. Uh, Albuquerque's killing it, as he usually does. Uh, the choices of, of the colouring in the various scenes. like that, that All this final scene takes place kind of at dawn. There's this light, kind of slightly yellow light coming from behind the, the fields. Uh, it seems to be raining because like Pearl's hair is kind of like clinging to her face and the, the rain's coming down. There's just such a good mood and atmosphere to it, uh, and th- I mean the the, set, the highlight, of course, though, is the is the glimpse of hell, uh, which ca- kind of is represented as being in the back of Skinner's head, like his head's in the corner of the two page mm-hmm. spread, and it's like hell's been drawn in the back of his head, uh, which again just makes it this idea of it being the horror of the mind. Like, did he literally go to a place, or is this just what the great traders made him feel and think? Either way, right. super super exciting. So, uh, th- this is an easy eight point five out of ten, I think, uh, for me. Really good stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And this is exciting because I never read any of this. You know, I, I definitely didn't read right. Second Cycle when I first read American Vampire. So this is all fresh material. So super yeah, exciting. I only read the first issue because none of this is seeming familiar. I, yeah. I definitely would remember the 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 chest mouth thing. For sure. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that'll take us out of the part of the show where we pick our favourite stuff for the week, favourite panel slash moment, favourite cover, favourite art, and, of course, top five books. Matt, what is your moment slash panel of the week? All right, so there's some fun ones. Um, in, in Ivy, you have Croc with the donut. That's pretty funny. You also have Ivy, you know, getting annoyed with Grundy about, you know, him running through his poem. Um, and then Shazam, there's a lot of fun ones as well. Um yeah, uh, I mean, just this whole book is full of them, but my, mine's going to be, it's Takitani surrounded by the dinosaurs, oh, you know, sure. just, you know, him, him trying to talk his way out of it. I thought was so funny. Yeah, I think, I think I'm going kind of with that, but I'm going specifically with the panel of the four dinosaurs lined up with phasers mm-hmm. and then being like, it's a trap, shoot the furry. Yeah. And they're all yep. dressed as Star Trek characters. I thought that was really funny. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with that. Uh, all right, cover of the week. Uh, I did have a little look. Uh, there's a really mm-hmm. nice one for Neil Before Zod by Ariel Colin, uh, or Colin, or I don't know how to say his name, but or her name perhaps. That could be a that could be a she. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, point is, is that uh, it's a really nice cover uh, with a really kind of nice painted, heavily detailed faces. Uh, the only critique I'd give it though, because uh, it's a really nice cover, is that I think that's meant to be Ursa because it's Zod, Ursa, and the Sun. But yeah. Ur- she's got long hair, which Ursa has no long hair at any point in, in the issue itself. She's got the traditional short hair. But yeah. Whatever. You know, that's, they want to do long hair. So uh, I wanted to mention that there's a couple of good Birds of Prey covers. Uh, there's one by Scott Forbes, which has got Cass and Harley on it. 
mm-hmm. which has got really nice muted sort of flat colors, which I really like. Um, there's a nice Shazam cover by Chris Samney, where Shazam's floating in front of a bunch of buildings. Looks really nice. My pick, though, has to be uh, Birds of Prey. Uh, it's by Chris Bacallo. It's uh, Barda on a bike. Well, I think it's Barda anyway, uh, on a bike. And it's basically just white negative space with uh, her on the bike. And the only color in the front image is uh, the red cape. So, yeah. yeah that's pretty neat. That's it. So, so you mentioned a couple of mine, the, the Forbes one I was going to mention. Um, the, the Titans Atlantis book, there's this really fun, looks like a B-movie poster uh, with a gigantic Black Manta over the lighthouse in Amnesty Bay. And it says, beware the Black Manta. I think that one's a lot of fun. Um, but it wouldn't be an Ivy Week without me picking an Ivy cover. <laughs> of course. Um, and again, I don't do this to be a self-parody. I do this because these are legitimately good. Uh, but there's a Yannick Paquette Ivy uh, variant that's got her on like this throne of flowers and like shrubs. Uh, and it's just, she looks like euphoric in, in, in a book that's been as dark as it has been. It's nice to look at this cover and Pam looking happy. So uh, that's going to be mine. Cool. All right. Uh, Art of the week. Man, this is uh, not that it's slim pickings, but it's not the typical right like we don't yeah. we don't you know we don't have our normal um i mean, I mean for I, me it's shazam like i have to go yeah. i think it sticks out as being different from what it was before but very mm-hmm. very good on its own um obviously jimenez is very good but mm-hmm. i think i have to go with suzuka maybe because it's a, it feels like a fresh name it feels like a fresh style that i've not seen yeah. uh at least recently anyway whereas mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I mean, and maybe it also helps that I like the book more, like the writing's good, whereas I don't mm-hmm. like the writing in Batman. So, True. well, that shouldn't affect the art, but it does add a bit of a stink that, you know, you, it's hard to shake off. Yeah. Uh, so what's your pick? Yeah, so I was going to say, too, uh, I want to give shouts to Gutierrez from Blue Beetle. I don't get to bring them up sure. that often. Um, however, the Titans Beast World did have Federici and DeLandro, or De- DeLandro, uh, so that that's gonna be my pick. Oh, fair enough. That makes sense. All right, cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, rank the top five books. If I mean, you did read at least five, so yeah, go yeah, for yeah, it. Yeah, high five. Yeah. So so number one is going to be Shazam. Two is Birds of Prey. Three is uh, Blue Beetle. Four is Ivy, and five is Titans Beast World. Yeah, really dull list for me this week. So number uh-huh. one is Shazam. Number two is Birds of Prey. Then there's a big gap. And then it's Batman, and then Neil before Zod, I guess. Just because it happens to be the last mm-hmm. one there. Uh, I will tell you now what's coming next week from DC Comics. We've got Action Comics 1061, which is the start of the this new rotating thing. So it's the start of a three-issue arc. Uh, so we'll see how that is. We have Green Lantern issue 7, Batman and Robin issue 5, Titans Beast World issue 4, Wesley Dodds the Sandman issue 4, Outsiders issue 3, Speed Force issue 3, Fables 161 and Looney Tunes 276 if you're so inclined. So another quieter week, uh, which is why I left a Patreon book for next week. Yep. Uh, so, yeah. But still, looking forward to Beast World and uh, Green Lantern for sure. And then Outsiders mm-hmm. will be kind of an interesting one as well. So Yeah, yeah let's, see what the, let's see what this one's about while, we, while, while you run through the end of show. Yeah, I mean, that's the show. That's, that's us. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for joining us, everyone. You can support all the content over at patreon.com slash mailfuzz tv and uh get a little bit early access and you know just help keep everything coming 
It helps out a bunch if you do. And, uh, you know, check out other Mail Fuzz content. Um, I do a bunch of movie podcasts over Mail Fuzz movies, or you can find them individually via podcast feeds. But you can go check out what they all are over there. There's a horror movie podcast, a sci-fi movie podcast, things like that. Go and check them out and see if you're interested. Uh, but yeah. Uh, that is the show, though. Thank you very much for joining us. We always appreciate it. Keep reading DC Comics, and remember to never get lost in the Speed Force.